Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. My name is David and each week, as I'm sure you know, I ask creatives of all sorts to come over to my studio in North Acton to talk about their lives and interactions with London culture and creativity. This week's chat is with Harry Conway, a photographer from Kensal Rise. He's run through a couple of cultures on his route to creativity. He's a big lad, covered in tattoos, sports a vest in the summer months and could be intimidating if you saw him jump out on you on a Bakerloo line with his camera. But when chatting to him, it breaks down all perceptions. And it was really great hearing about his influences and experiences. This is his story about London culture and creativity. Enjoy. Looking back at it now, I don't really think it was about the music. The music was shit. It was more about going out and having a friendship group and actually saying, yo, like, we're here, we're all together. We like each other because, you know, we're all into the same music. We dress the same. And that's our tribe. Chapter one, London. We start off local again, northwest London, and we start off with Harry telling us about his choices for secondary school and the wide breadth of tribes he saw and came across. His interest in music kick off, and we talk about him going to watch bands play and being in bands himself, and how he's found his way through rock and punk and the hardcore music scenes, and what becoming straight edge is like, and meeting like-minded people within that culture, and his introduction to graffiti. Thanks for coming round, Harry. Um, let's start right at the beginning, man. Where are you from? Kensal Rise, northwest London. Wicked, just down the road. Just down the road always. I was born in 1990, so I'm a 90s baby. Um, obviously, born in West London. Went to school in West London. Yeah. So... What were what, you seeing in London around those years and school-wise? What was it like? Basically, I, the way I see it is at a crossroads. So, you know, I'm finishing primary school. My parents are like, yo, which secondary school are you going to? And there was a crossroads. I could go up the road, which was literally two roads away to Queen's Park High School, yeah. which was notorious. So at these times, which would have been 01. So 01, what had happened is uh, I was going to be going to Queen's Park High School. But I remember this is notorious. It was a documentary premiered on, I think it was Panorama. I don't know if Panorama was out at the time. It was on BBC. Yeah. And they'd done one of them like, bit, bit flaky undercover reports on Queen's Park High School. And they, they got like one of them substitute what? teachers to go in there. And bruv, some of the scenes were mad. Like you got to remember, I'm like 10, 11, probably 10. And people are just getting smashed up in the classroom. And like, like the teacher, the undercover reporter saying, hey, you guys, you need to stop. And the people are telling them, oh, shut the fuck up, miss. Like, and they're just having a proper fight in the, in the middle of the and classroom. And this is on the run-up to you going to that school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents are like, yeah. Like, <laughs> After an hour of that panorama, that's not happening. So I ended up going up the road. So what my dad had to do is, it was Twyford, Church of England High School in yeah. Acton. Uh-huh. And now, obviously, when you say C of E High School, some people think it's bougie, isn't it? But what it was, is it was just either go there or go to Queensborough High School and have, you know what I mean, have a yeah. melee. To get into a CV yeah. at that time, um, for whatever reason, basically we had to join a church, innit? So we joined a church. <laughs> Dad got friendly with a vicar. Yeah. To get, because what you need is, what you need to certify. You need the cosign. Is, you need the cosign, exactly. Yeah. So the vicar sent a letter to the, the principal, whatever, certified yeah. it. So I'm in year seven. And what's happening these times is I'm getting on, not the overground wasn't about then. Uh-huh. So before the overground, Silverlink. Yeah. So I'm getting on the Silverlink oh, from is. Kensal Rise, two stops to yeah. Acton Central. And I'm walking up Churchfield Road, going up Acton. Well, like for West London back in the day, I mean, obviously it's not the 90s, but still the noughties. Going to Acton was a bit mad because Kensal Rise, not much was really going on. Like it's not, it's not like you have a main high road yeah. or whatever else. So it's kind of like, it's pretty calm around there. But 
Gone it's up quite to Acton. residential as well. Yeah, mad residential. All you've yeah. got is a few boss man shop. And um, back then you didn't even have a Tesco or any big no. supermarket. You had um, a main boss man supermarket, but outside Kensal Rise Station, yeah. which was called AP Foods, and people would do their weekly shop there. It was, it was a proper big boss proper man shop. Proper community shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But back then there was no none of this Costa, Tesco's, anything. I don't even think there was a betting shop back then. It was a, it was a proper old West Indian community and proper old Irish community. And there was just bare pubs on the corner, convenient shops, um, maybe like, yeah, there's a mini cab service. Nothing really. So there was nothing really going on in Kensal Rise. So I didn't see much. But go, starting to go to secondary school now, going up Acton, like High Road, it was madness because South Acton Estate back then was notorious. The main gang um, that was partly in Twyford and partly in um, Acton High School was MDP, Money, Drugs, Power. And that street gang was just like known. Like going to Twyford, people would see it as like, you're wearing a blazer, you're wearing a tie, it's a CV school. It's a good school, but I'm not saying it was the roughest school because it wasn't, but it opened my whole like mind. Like, like, I, I just think London state schools in general, it's, they're all very similar. They're all like, and, and then there's levels to it as well. And well, to, it, it's seen on the surface as aesthetically like these are yeah. good kids, they're doing their tires, you know, it's, it's fairly good grades compared to say Queen's Park. Yeah. But, but I don't know, I feel jokes. like there was a preconception that it was bougie. There was yeah. definitely a preconception because Acton High, which were our main rivals, I'm not saying I ever got into main fights with them, but that, that was seen as yeah, our yeah. rivals and there was a lot of beefs in between those schools. Because they wore a tracksuit, everyone thought they were bad. Because they had a polo and a tracksuit, they thought like, oh yeah, we're the rough school, you lot wearing ties. But I'm telling you, when I was actually having a conversation with my mate like a few months back about school and that. Actually, there was actually some mental shit going on, man. And back, back in the times, yeah, so started drinking and smoking at school, you know, basic stuff everyone does, but... Peer at, pressure was that, do you think, or just, just part of the... It the was casual. Up. Yeah, to, to, casual. To get involved with things, you know, um, obviously, you know, so going back year eight, year nine, started going to gigs, local gigs in churches. What types of gigs? So metal, I mean, it was mostly metal, heavy metal. And then from there, um, and I'll be going up to like Hamwell these times, so... I've come from Ken's Royals. I'm going to school in Acton. I'm making friends in Eden, Acton, Hanwell, Brentford, out there. I'm, I'm learning more about London. Started going to a few little gigs, nothing proper. You know, it's literally Small like bands. local scout, hut, whatever. Um, you know, having a drink, nothing big. Casual, everyone does it. But from there, I noticed that there was a kind of expansion. So I was like, you know with this kind of, you know, it was tribal back then. It was still tribal. You, you know, you didn't have um, skinheads and stuff, but you had grungers. The way, I, when I was growing up, you had grungers and you had chavs. Right. And then you had, yeah, normies, I guess, and whatever else. But for me, when I was proper growing up, you had chavs and grungers. There was none of this, duh, duh, duh. I used to get mugged off for wearing vans. And then a few years later, rude boys were wearing vans. Yeah. And it just, it, it's all merged now. What made you though, so what was the, what was the run up for you to be like, I'm going to, I'm up for listening to a band in a hall or whatever it would be. It was something to do. But back but, then... But you chose... So you, was it, you, you liked that music and then... I don't know. I'm just trying to see if there is anything, you know, to go out at that, at that age to those types of places. And obviously it would have been catered for you in terms of like 15-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds yeah. and upwards... It was safe. Um, you know, it was it was local kids from the and school. We made it, little bands. Oh, wicked. So okay, cool. I, I was drumming. I started drumming. You know, I even got up to, to grade two in drums at Guildhall. Mad. 
Still got that. But I was I, I drummed in one band. It was nothing big, you know. Played some really. The, for me, it's character building. You know, you'd go up to like somewhere like Peterborough and playing like a bar to like literally twenty kids. And How I'm not you? joking. Well, obviously this is a little bit later, so this is year nine, so year ten. That. So you're still in school, and you'd fallen, you'd got literally music was the side hustle basically to go into school. When you're at school, it was just like music, music, music. That you're going to do, which ended pretty, up you being in a band. Pretty much. I mean, you know what? Tell a lie. It must have been year ten, year eleven, but I wasn't really. So I was doing art at GCSE level. I was doing music at GCSE level. But when I went up to A-levels, I tried to do these things. So I tried to do media, photography, um, uh, music tech. I couldn't do music tech. Right. I, I'm not academic at all. I, I got kicked out of music tech because I got a U. You know, I failed music tech. But through that, through all of that stuff at school, I'd made friends. We were all grungers, whatever you want to call it. Started doing bands, going out there playing gigs to like literally no one. So I was developing now. So I've gone from like metal and like heavy rock and I'm getting into hardcore punk. And Sounds, kind of... When you just said about the, uh, I know that's jumping forward talking about what you did in college and the music tech, but already what you're saying is that that's analog. That is all hands on that music. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's no beat machines. There's no using nah, a laptop. Nice, it's do it it's yourself. Like, exactly. It's, it's DIY. Like feel, feel, feel a vibe and play the vibe yourself. Mate, so you know, half of these kids couldn't play their instruments um you know you, you'd have a bassist that knew like two songs it was a joke right. yeah but it, it was a place where we could go allow our, our anger go into a mosh pit and punch our friends it didn't make no sense but it was a release when i look back now it was, it was a release of energy yeah. we didn't fit in back then we had stupid hair like i had a fucking mohawk i had like a flat mohawk i think i dyed it red or green once you know just stupid stuff i had like um, my favorite band at one point was Slipknot. I had like a boiler, uh, boiler jacket, you know, fucking thinking back, you just think, what the fuck was I doing? What I, was I, it I, about the music? Well, I don't know. Is it just being a teenager and finding your lane? Was it was that in that music? But so I don't think it was so much about the music. I think it was just when you were a teenager, you're looking for identity and, you know, getting that identity was going into a tribe and my tribe was grungers, heavy metal, all that kind of music. And for looking back at it now, I don't really think it was about the music. The music was shit. But it was more about going out and having a friendship group and actually saying, yo, like, we're here, we're all together, we like each other because, you know, we're all into the same music and we dress the same. And that's our tribe. And, you know, you weren't singled out. There was those few good kids in school that were a bit, like, lonerish and stuff. And I don't really want to say at that stage I wasn't a loner. You know, back in year 10, year 11, year 9, there was, I had a solid group of friends um maybe not all of my friends listened to heavy metal in school but outside of school i'd hang out with my mates we got out camden lock um buy these ridiculous clothes in camden lock so the the actual title of the culture was didn't really it wasn't really about that at all it was just being within it and being with, with your friends and then within a movement because it could have been any sound it could have been any clothing it could have been any what you're saying is it was more than the final fact it could have been like looking back, it just happened to work in that dynamic with your group of friends. It was like this is the one we're all. Yeah, I think you don't make. I'm not saying these decisions are made consciously. I'm just no. like, they're all subconscious. Of course, you know what I mean. But what you just said was amazing because you broke it down to it wasn't just about the music. It was about friendships and tribes, and it's like that's the music sucked. I, I can go on my iTunes and probably find the the first band. Like it was awful. It was it was dreadful. Um, the point I'm making, and I, I agree with you to a certain level. 
everyone was the same in the sense that everyone had their tribes. Everyone was just trying to find somewhere to belong and not be left out in the cold, basically. You know, I look back and in year 11, I, it's crazy because I didn't even think about it when I got into graph. But looking back at it, there was actually two or three, there was three kids that actually painted graph. They wore tracksuits, you know, they wore Nike, uh, Adidas, wearing Reebok, Umbro, and they were they were writers. But I didn't know about them. I didn't know anything about Ryan. I wasn't interested in it. I okay. wanted to play the drums and I wanted to go in a mosh pit and punch people. And I wanted to make out with that girl with red hair. I didn't give a fuck about graffiti. That was stupid. It was a back. So you knew what it, you knew it was out there, but it was a backdrop to the city. It wasn't anything. It wasn't, more, it wasn't anything. I was not yeah. on my radar at all, okay. mate. Like I literally didn't care about it. And it's just funny looking back at it now. And that's probably when I should have got into graffiti. Because you've got to remember... These times I'm what 15, 16. That's that's a good time, or even 13, 14. Yeah, but you've you you found something, you found music and that group and that tribe. That, yeah, that's the thing is that, and so whatever happened next, happened next. Is your introduction to culture came with that tribe and that sound, and and you what what happened to evolve out of that was you making music and being part of a band that's what that stage was you understood and became part of something at a younger age you, it changes What's i'm still funny? part of a culture but i'm 38 years old now i've been in my culture for 22 years completely changed throughout yeah, the whole of it do you know what i mean it's part of culture is what i'm saying yeah. yeah and it's it's kind of funny now because you know going back to the music so i was listening to this bad music evolved got rid of the band and i got into hardcore so hardcore is all diy analog Started going to a lot of hardcore shows, um, you know, going out with other mates. I was, at this time now, I'm, I'm getting, you know, tins of Strongbow and K-Sider. My brother's buying me vodka. We're going to gigs, getting ridiculously drunk, so, having fights. Metal and rock. And then, then it was hardcore. So what, what was, what, what was, it, what is hardcore? Hardcore, so hardcore punk stem is a subculture of punk. So hardcore punk is basically Americanized. So it was coming over from America. It was bands like Minor Threat. It was bands like um, Black Flag. You know, all these names that everyone knows these days. They've got t-shirts in bloody Topshop or something. Yeah, but it wasn't that. It, it was Americanized. Yeah. But what it was is a kind of less metallic sound and more kind of punky sound. But it wasn't like... It could be screechy kind of like fast punk. But then it could also be, you know, hardcore punk in the sense of like maybe metalcore so it was kind of metal and hardcore mix and basically what it meant in practice was i wasn't going to church hall so much anymore i was going to big venues like the astoria before it got knocked down in tottenham court road i was going to maybe the forum to see metalcore um and going to other kind of little bit you know maybe the bar fly in camden going up to chalk farm when you were 18 ish now then you're in college. there's there's a, a whole mix of people there's a lot of people it's, you don't know everyone Everyone's drinking, pre-drinking in the the queue up to the the gig because no one can afford any alcohol inside. So everyone's trying to get drunk before people passing around cigarettes, whatever bit of joints. Um, and what it was is that I, I was going to these gigs, and you know, yeah, it was all good, it was all well, but it kind of felt. I got to a stage where the music I was now getting to was not so destructive. It wasn't, you know, Slipknot or Sex Pistols or whatever. It, it was stuff like Minor Threat. And what Minor Threat was singing about is abstinence. So they were looking over at England, seeing the Sex Pistols and all these punk bands kind of sprawled out on drugs and alcohol. And they were like, fuck that, that's not punk. Like, how can you um, 
how can you protest and how can you kind of be about punk if you're drunk all the time and you're not defending anything you're just getting drunk for the sake of it you're not a punk like you're just buying you know some big company's beer like you're just supporting capitalism like and it was kind of like that really echoed with me because at that time like i said i was getting on the stretchy passes like the the 207 going up the oxbridge road i was drunk out my head and i was just fighting people that i didn't know and it didn't make any sense and and it kind of for me looking back at it it kind of all built up to this one point where I was getting drunk with my two best friends that I was in a band with. And we finished off with a Smirnoff bottle and I chucked this Smirnoff bottle at the back of someone's house. I just smashed a bottle at their window. I don't know why I did it. It was drunk, dickhead. And when we came around the front of the house, a guy came out just rushing out. He had about a six pack, looked like a fucking action man, got all in my face. And I thought basically it all got, you know, he basically wanted to kill me, but it all got sorted out. But I basically put my friends in this fucked up position. And there were just two girls. Like, we would have got laid out by this guy. And I was going, my dad had to pick me up because I couldn't even make it home. And I puked all over the inside of my dad's car. And I remember just thinking, what, what am I doing? What's going on here? And listening to bands like Minor Threat, hearing about this thing called Straight Edge, I just realized like, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. So what Minor Threat were kind of bigging up and what the, the phrase they coined was Straight Edge, and what that was, was abstinence. So you didn't drink, you didn't um, smoke, you didn't do drugs. And it wasn't religious at all. I think a lot of people, when I tell them I don't drink or I don't smoke, or whatever, they think it's some religious thing. But I was just sick of getting drunk and fighting people. Because to me, there's two types of drunks. You've got the silly drunk and you've got the aggressive drunk. And I knew which one I was. And it was all pointless. They had, I had no meaning and I wanted to have some substance in my life. So you'd been part of uh, this... You'd fallen in love with music at 11, 10, 11 years, 12 years old and gone through the stages of finding, going deeper into the sounds, basically, from rock to heavy metal to minor threat and so on, and to go through quite a mental route of just enjoying the scene, going through some nice venues and then think and being part of a culture that was going to, well, the choices were, shall I get hardcore, get get he- heavily drunk yeah. and fight and ruck and bring the mosh pit outside because that was what you thought was... Don't get it twisted. There was still the mosh pit in hardcore, but you're basically punching each other in the face. And don't get it... Like, hardcore is not full of straight-edge kids. There's loads of kids in hardcore that are doing cocaine and fucking ecstasy, whatever else. But there's an element of hardcore that's straight-edge. So you were still having the mosh pits and stuff, but you don't have to go in the mosh pit if you don't want. But my point was, is that I wasn't now going to fucking Marble Arch with a four-pack of K-Cider, getting drunk off my little stupid head and starting fights with some guy called Bob on the bus. And you'd got deeper into your culture, music culture. So I got deeper into my culture of music and hardcore and learning about more bands. At this time, you know, in hardcore, um, records, seven inches, LPs, tapes, they're still massive, even to this day. Yeah. People still, kids What's still press tapes. At the top of Pratt Street in Camden. Uh, it's, they've got it's all all ages records. Yeah, they've got an immense amount yeah. man, of new releases. So back then, I wasn't. You know, I never really got caught up in collecting. I guess I, I, uh, I've got a small collection, but, you, yeah. but I was basically you know ripping all this music onto my iTunes at that point. So I had an iPod and I was just listening to all this music. And I guess I started to hang out with different people. Um, I started to get into hardcore, but at the same time, you know, kind of in context of my life. I was now in sixth form. Um, I was doing media <laughs> and photography. So this, at this stage, 
I was, I was first, this was my first ever in my life, really, introduction. Apart from, you know, when I was a kid and my parents obviously had film cameras and where they, this was my first introduction into using film. So I was chucked into a course where we were given the option through, through the school to buy a knockoff Chinese um, Olympus. It was called Phoenix. I've still got it at home. Really? And it was a, a basic SLR. It was for student use. It it was shit. You know, it was really broke up. But it did the job. So yeah. I was shooting black and white film on this Phoenix, you know, knockoff Chinese Olympus camera. And I was I was actually allowed, you know, we had our darkroom space. I was allowed to process my own film um, and, you know, make prints. So this is sixth form college. Um, I'm failing uh, music tech. Um, I've given up drums. And basically, I've just been introduced into photography. So I'm starting to like take my camera about, shoot things, da 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 da. Nothing really came of it. So now I've. You passed the course. I think <laughs> what had happened is I'd got IU in music tech, so I'd flailed that. Psychology in the first AS levels, I, I just stopped going. I just found out what I was doing then. But you learned something. I learned a skill. Yeah. I learned that it was something there. But. Yeah. Never mind about a grade. You learned something. It was a good thing. Yeah. At, at the same time as this is all going on, in two, early 2008, I had met a friend through Hardcore. And basically, he was from America. Um, we are just hanging out after shows, um, whatever else. And he was the one that actually started talking to me about Graph. And um, it was funny, actually, because he was a rich kid. Um, his dad was so rich, um, he paid to be off the rich list. His dad's as a banker in America. He's got like a flat by the London Eye. He's got like five houses in America. I've been to one or two of them. You know, they just like buy jet skis like it was nothing. It was nuts. But when he was in London, he had this whole thing of like, he wasn't that rich. Like he had a small flat in Parsons Green. I didn't know him like that. I'd only just like hanging out with this kid. But he introduced me into fucking um, State Your Name. So we would watch State Your Name. Like, Was just... that because of the music that's on the video? Was that part of the attraction? I don't think so, you know. I no. think this kid was just some fucking rich kid that had some inferiority complex that he needed to be a bit more street or something. I don't know. Wicked. And the, it was a the kid thief, was called Yesh, man. Video, he no. was just like, he's a dickhead, man. But whatever. Yeah. He, he introduced it to me. Watched State Your Name. Watched all these really bad... You wouldn't even know the names of them. I don't even remember the names of them. They weren't proper graph films. It was just like bits of graffiti on YouTube. So we're like, fuck it. We're going to do this. You know, we've seen it on YouTube. How hard can it be? Chapter 2, Culture. We're getting into it now and how he tells us about running through the city and going to gigs with his friends, watching graffiti films and starting to write and how he came up with his name. And we hear about how he learned about the culture and meeting other writers within the hardcore music scene and how he found out about veganism and his decisions on becoming a vegan. We also talk about work life, menial jobs and what life's like signing on and also what he was getting out of graffiti personally and how a couple of silly moves ended up with police at the door. you got to remember, I'm 18 now. It's 2008, so... I didn't know what to tag, so we just started tagging like our band names. So we went down to the you know the shop in Camden. He'd buy a chrome six hundred mil burner, and I'd buy Molotov covers all six hundred mil black. And we put a pink dot or an astro cap on the top, and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We didn't. We hadn't even sketched anything. No one knew. We might have tried to write hand stars, but I. I know we did not have a fucking clue. I had no what, mentors, what nothing. Was the, what was the name you were going to paint? So basically I was writing like Can't Relate, which was my band name at the time. So I was writing Can't, can't Relate, uh, writing Stupid Shit, writing Straight Edge. 
Um, and we what we do is it got to a point where we're like we need a tag. So he was writing scare. S C A R E. And we were literally filling up the whole of a shah. So we get a can and we just do a tag that fitted the whole of the shah. It was doing ever in a way. Maybe it was cool, I don't know. So the hand styles were awful. But it got to a point where I said I need a tag. You know, I, I can't just keep writing this stupid shit. So my friend was like, well, just pick letters you like and put them together. And I was like, oh, like an X would look sick. Because basically in straight edge, where it comes from is when you go to the bar, you get, if you're below 18, you get an X put on your hand. So the bar know not to serve you. So straight edge kids basically X up. That's what it's called. You put an X on your hand. So you're showing that you abstain from substances, basically. So I was like, gotta use an X. So okay. I have an X in there, That's ER good. flows. And fuck it, chuck a Z on the end. It's all spike in it. It will go. Stupid. So I've started writing Xers. That was the first ever tag. Okay. Xers. And there's, there might even still be one in Kenzo Ryers. I don't know. But obviously it's covers all, so it's faded as fuck. Start playing around with combinations. Then I started writing X-Res. So I was writing X-Res for like a week. And uh, all of this at this time was like this shit, like just stupid tags, like... Um, it wasn't even racked paint at that point. But anyway, got to a point where I flipped it all around. I was like, Zerks, that's it. It flips, it works. At the same time through hardcore, I met my, my other friend, Ora, and he introduced, he was cooking up ink at the time. I had no clue about this stuff. I used to buy my ink or rack pens or whatever. He was cooking ink. He introduced me to... Did you, you meet know, him through the scene? The music through scene. hardcore, yeah. yeah. So met him through hardcore punk, going to shows... He was like, yeah, I do graph. Um, he was a bit more established than me in the sense he knew what he was doing and that. And we started bombing together. Um, and through that, um, yeah, he taught me a lot. We learned a lot from each other. We lot, you know, we helped each other rack. We helped each other with our styles, sketching, whatever else. So put, coming back to context-wise, I've now finished sixth form. I've got a place at Roehampton University to do photography, but I've deferred it. I'm sick of education. I'm basically, yeah, I can't deal with it anymore. So in my, my head, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to go work. So <laughs> I've deferred my place at Roehampton. And I've got a job at Odeon Cinema in um, Kensington, Kensington High Street. And <laughs> I was getting paid £5.15 an hour because I was under 21. So the pay cut was different. And I was basically ushering at, at the cinema, watching the films, um, selling tickets and stirring nacho cheese um, for the, the nachos and, and rotating the hot dogs. And I wore this cruddy like would enjoy your film. And like, I think the end line was like, enjoy your film and spit in my face. Cause everyone looked at me like a scumbag. Like I remember serving that. Um, I used to serve bare celebrities up there. Cause all the celebrities would come to that cinema, even though it was Brock up because uh, Leicester Square was bait and Central London was bait, but that was kind of still a bit classy, I guess for them. So I serve people like Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, but they were they were chill. But then fucking that actor from Love Actually come, what's his name? No clue. I know the film. I yeah. can't think of the actor. He was a dickhead anyway. So yeah, basically I was getting treated like shit. I was in a Hugh dead Grant. end job. Hugh Grant, thank you, Hugh Grant. So Hugh Grant was just a cunt to me. His sister apologised, and I just remember thinking like, yeah, this is dead. Like I'm stirring nacho cheese. I'm wearing some shitty uniform. How long have you been there? 
So you'd finish at that time. This is my first ever job. Yeah, yeah. It it got to a point where I was there for, I think I was actually there for eight months, which at that time seemed like you know years. Yeah, of course. Or maybe like ten months. But I remember one day I was like, you know what, fuck this. Like I think they didn't want to. It come down to something really stupid. Like they didn't want to. What did they not want to do? They didn't want to let me do something like give me a locker key or something. I don't know. Something pay, man. But I was young, innit? But, you know, I'm doing my graph. I'm working this job. I, I basically jacked in the job. I was like, it's summer. I don't want to work. So I jacked in the job, signed on. And signing on gave me my 50 quid every two weeks. Mm. So I was sweet. And at this time, me and Ora are going painting. How are your parents? So they don't really you. know. They like my parents, you know, I'm 18, I've got a job, they know I've deferred uni, so they're kind of doing their thing. I'm keeping myself they, they don't know I'm painting. I'm keeping it low key. What did they say when you quit work? I just told them I had a falling out with the manager and you and know, look, cool with you look for another life. job and yeah, that, yeah. you know, I'm I'm looking for another job. But obviously it's summer, I think they know like Yeah. I but it wasn't yeah, there wasn't like, oh my god, they weren't on your back because you no, were a man. Now. I think they were like, go on then. I had my own money, so I was kind of Obviously, I'm living at theirs, but I had my own money and I was doing my thing. Uh, but because I had enough money saved up from that, I wasn't really hassling them for money or whatever. So I think they were just didn't really care. Yeah. And then you've been used; they've been used to being out because of the music. And... Yeah, I think I was just saying. So yeah, so I'd say like I'm going to a gig, but I was going to yeah. a trackside. Okay. But basically, so you... met up with, ended up meeting up through hardcore with Teco, and it was me, Teco, and Oro, and we we were YA and we were young, so we were young and mad. And through that, that's when it really elevated. So that's just when I, it just exploded. I didn't have a job. I had I was on the dole, got my 50 quid a week, go racking all day. And then when winter came around, four o'clock, jump on the line, start painting. And it just, that's when it exploded. It was like 2009 is when it just got serious. I was Zerks. I was fucking, had no job, nothing else to do. I put everything into it. That's all I did every day is think about graph. Sitting at home, tagging in books, doing outlines, doing frogs. I had no life. Consumed. Nothing, mate. I, I had my first ever girlfriend. She was in Oxford, so I had enough time to do me. And I, I was just doing graph, man. I, I didn't care about anything. And that's when I kind of noticed. Were you still straight edge? Yeah, yeah, still straight edge. Yeah. I've been straight edge for now 12 years. So that was a lifelong decision. No matter what was going to happen, you were like, this is cool. I'm staying with this. Once you claim the X, that's it. You can you can break edge. Most of my friends are broken edge now. Most people got you know go back into it. But the way I saw it was, you know, I didn't really know it back then. But looking back at it now, I was depressed. I was doing a fucking dead end job. I didn't have many friends anymore. Um, or I did have friends, but not close friends. You know, like they weren't like fucking tight tight friends. I had friends, but I was it's depressed. It's a hard age man. to be straight edge as well. It, it was because you know everyone's learning to be themselves and it, but what it is is everyone wants to feel part of a group and self-medicating back then you know if you didn't drink or you didn't smoke or you you weren't on ecstasy or whatever then you didn't you know what you i mean fit in. And, and what it is is that when you don't do that people think you're looking down on them i don't care in it but people think that you're you think you're better than them and it's not like that i don't care if um you know, someone, as long as no one's smoking like fucking heroin or something mad, yeah. it's not, you know, if someone's smoking a bit of wacky backy or whatever you want to call it, it's not my business. Yeah. You know what and I mean? The reason you decided to be straight edge is for you. It's not, for me. Not to proclaim or preach, it's just for you. When I tell people that I went sober at like 16, people are like, what? So you were, someone said it to me the other day that, what? So you were banging stuff when you were like 13, 14? Like, Look, 
I wasn't a fucking raging alcoholic, but I was, I was, I was drinking a lot of cider, yeah. smoking a bit of weed. I was not on anything serious. It wasn't that deep. But you could I just easily. Knew, I could have. If you carried on, Back you would have done what everyone else did. You couldn't did. do whatever you want. Yeah, like, yeah. And I you would have gone into everything else like everyone else did. And that's the thing, but I just felt I didn't want to be that person anymore. So I cut it out. It was a simple decision for me. Yeah. But because a lot of my friends were going straight back then, it seemed easier. Anyway, I'm now 18. I'm straight edge. I'm vegan. So through hardcore, I've gone vegan as well. Now, this is the thing that got long. Painting all night. You're out in, I don't know, fuck knows where, Hornsey. You're vegan at 2am. What are you eating? That's not good. There's no, there's no Deliveroo Uber Eats out here. No. It's 2008. Yeah. You're eating kebab shop isn't some healthy. mashed up um, falafel from the kebab shop. Yeah. That boss man scratched his batty and like cooking your meal. Like it's madness. So my friends would have a pizza or a kebab. And I've got this. I remember one time actually, um, Kenton Station opposite is still there. I don't know how this place is still running. They serve me, you know, a standard falafel wrap. Everyone knows that in London. It's falafel wrap. Yeah. Boss man served me a pita bread and then it's got salad on top. Tahini, maybe. I don't even think it was tahini. Hummus, probably. And, you know, some, some other salad sauce. And I said to him, what is this? Because it's not even inside the pita bread. It's on top. It's, it's assembling. It's not cooking. Yeah. It's assembling. Yeah. And it just got a bit peaked. So the thing was, is that I was painting a lot of graph. 2009, now going on to 2010. I've missed out on the Rahampton space. And I'm just basically going for it. I'm just going for graph. <laughs> I've forgotten about education. I'm hooked on it. Graph is like my one true love. It's sexy. And I'm this like, you know, horny, like 20 year old now. And it is my life. Like all those drips and like hand styles and putting the cracks in on dubs is just so fucking sexy. And it's like, this obsession with it like obviously people are going to call bullshit but like i'm not that deep into star signs but i'm a gemini and gemini's are meant to become obsessed with things and like looking back maybe it's a coincidence i i do get obsessed with things when i get into something i get very obsessive with it and i just kind of go a bit overboard and with graph i was doing that so you know me and teko would would jump on the fucking chilton go out to aylesbury rack all the b and q like ridiculous like back then like that's how you got paint. Like before there was paint shops, like we only made like one trip or two trips down to um, HQ in Brixton and some people tried to rob us on the way back to the station and it didn't really happen. We got into the station, but you didn't really buy paint back then. So we were out racking all day. Otherwise we couldn't paint and we wanted to paint. We were going to paint. So it was like, let's go out and rack. And thinking back, it just kind of got into some really stupid scenarios. Like, I don't know why, but there was this phase it might have been a little later where everyone wanted a postman bag. And I remember putting on a balaclava and robbing my postman. And like, I don't know why I did that. But I really wanted the postman bag. So like, what I'd done is I clocked, like, when did this... Did you give them letters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I took that. You took the letters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what happened is I watched them coming down my road. And this is the dumbest thing now, thinking about it, because you get fucked with this now. But I just put a, I put a balaclava on, like, rolled it up like a beanie. It was summer, so obviously he was wearing a beanie. Wearing a beanie, they're coming down the road, and it's this push-along where basically it's like a trolley, but it's two bags attached. And I've just, as the woman's gone to put the letterbox, I've just pulled it down, balaclava, picked up the whole trolley, not even the two bags, picked up the whole trolley and just run down the road. Letters going everywhere, she's saying, oh, what the fuck? And I've just run around the corner, run down a whole residential road, dumped out all the letters into some scouts, 
back back garden. Fuck no, I didn't even look through the letters for any money or anyway. I fuck this. I just want the bags. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So I've got this postman bag, but also I kind of got a bit addicted to the post office. So like back then, people, you, you had post office trolleys that um, were left out on the road, hard plastic trolleys. They don't do that no more for no. a reason because everyone was stealing the bags and stuff. And I stole a postman jacket. And me and Ora went to Richmond home base back then. And fucking, I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that was a good disguise, but I dressed as a postman with a postman bag. And went in separately, um, filled up a whole basket full of, um, it would have been the bandit fucking, this is when they brought back Rostolium in like a dodgy form, but there was still a few plasties, I think. Standard, went garden center, filled it up behind some rack. And then I've come out the front and as I'm coming out the front doors, bare people are shouting, eh, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, da, da, da. I'm coming into the car park now and basically I'm doing that thing where you're like going either side of the car, like they're chasing me around the car and that. I've got round it and I've got away in the end. They just thought, fuck it, you can have it. And I've run off. But the funniest thing about it is I'm running down the street in a postman jacket with stolen paint in this postman bag. All the staff have gone back inside to Ora. And they've somehow put us together. We must have been bait about it. And they're saying to him, where's the postman? Like, where's the postman line? And over I was saying, what are you talking about? Like, what postman? What postman? Uh, but obviously, yeah, that's just stupidness. But yeah, I think just through racking, we learned a lot about the city. That, that's the way I look back at it now. I didn't know fuck all. I knew about my little fucking area of Northwest London, like Kilburn, Kensal Rise, Kensal Green, uh, Wilston, Queen's Park, all of that, but yeah. it was nothing. It's a small little bubble. London's a bubble, but through graffiti, it taught me so much about geography because we were having to get night buses down to South London, and back then you didn't really go them parts, but we How, needed to get up. So, with it, so say you started writing in what oh two oh one oh two. I started writing late. late. I started writing oh eight. Oh eight. Okay, cool. But Sorry, yeah. So oh eight. The late, only late 08 is when I actually got Zerks as a tag. Okay, so, and then what made you understand all city so quickly? What made you go? I got border tag in the same areas. I, I, I was bombing, all right, so, like, skipping a little bit. You know, the way, one of the reasons I got caught is I basically had a ring around my house. Uh-huh. Because when you look at it on a map, when, I don't know if they still do it now. I don't know if they have the, the local council have the budget to do it is when they buff graffiti, they take a picture of it and put it on a map. And when the police came knocking, there was a ring around my fucking house. But I'm not talking about a ring like my local streets. My whole area had like, you know, north, south, east, west had been tagged with Zerg. So they were saying, look, it's all coming from around here because when you're walking home, you're bombing. So these days I'd always tell kids, like, don't bomb when you're coming home because you're just leading them there. So what had happened is I just got bored of tagging my area. I'd done all the local track sides. Um, you know, starting out, I was too toy to even try and do Queens Park, but track sides wise and streets wise, like for me, I was a street bomber. I used to love just tagging streets on my own with a few pens and a, and a tinny and that was it. But I, it got boring, man. Like, you know, you can get buffed on whatever else, but you just keep tagging the same area. I wanted to see more of London. So from there, overall, mm. I had the connect in Northeast. So we we're going over to Northeast London, me and Teco. Oh, that's where he... Oh, was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's over there. Um, Teco's coming from up northwest, like far. So we've gone over to northeast, so now we're starting to paint east. So the way that connects it is the Silverlink. Yeah. So the Silverlink's still the Silverlink. 
best but line. The best line. But now it's the orange line. Now yeah. it's now yeah, it's the yeah, overround. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we had tagged with that line. Like for me, that was my favorite line. So that's how we expanded outwards. Is we doing doing all the overground line, doing the Richmond to Stratford. You know, not really the gospel, and then we just gone into tube lines. But it got boring, man. Like we we'd done like gone up the Bakerloo line and we'd gone up like the Jubilee line and stuff. We'd done that. And I think it was like um a curiosity. That's the way I see it. I'm a very curious person and I like to know things. So I just wanted to see what was out there. And the thing is I wouldn't say I was all city because we never went deep, deep south. Like I didn't go out to like fucking Catford. Not that I can remember, but we went out to East, we did East, we had, we had Northwest on lock, we had West on lock, we did a bit of Southwest. But it was more bombing, man. I, I was never a good painter. Was I, your, I never uh, had the can control. So, yeah, we might do a few colourful dubs for those shit. It was letters up. and Was, it, was it reaffirming the whole... Because um, you haven't come to it like most people had come to hip-hop, had come to graffiti by then via hip-hop, mm. the conventional way. Do you know what I mean? Where we're coming to basically prove a point um, i was taught hip-hop taught me to go and prove myself do you know what i mean prove my point i can do this this that and the third you've come at it from a different angle about and pride in a in a good sense of pride but the straight edge thing i think to to be able to say yes to that life at 16 you that's that's quite like a strong mind you're you're trying to pull on right there to make that happen like i, I became a vegetarian by lunchtime, I gave up. Seriously. I got to the first place for lunch and my girl was just like, well, I'm having... And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't, mm. I'm not strong enough. Like, and I know that's a silly no. comparison, but the point is you're 16 and you made a decision. Did, is, is that is the graffiti and the getting up? Because you weren't getting up in the same sense of... Or you probably ended up doing graffiti and getting the name up because that's what it's about. But the reasons for you getting into it but it seemed to have come from the the pride and the stand upness that you, you know get what it from was being straight edge. I ate, I ate meat until I was just before I was sixteen because my dad is a big meat eater. He can't have a meal without meat. I love all kinds of meat. I was never brought up like a hippie or anything like that. But what had happened is through hardcore music, I started watching documentaries and I learned about battery farming. So what had happened is I'd watched battery farming and I thought, fuck health. Is this through knowledge of the people you're listening to? And like the roots you kind of get led yeah. down through conversations with that in that scene? Exactly. Okay. So it's through bands. So yeah. through bands, I'm learning about straight edge, but I'm also learning about animal rights, veganism. And the, and the reasons behind straight edge. And, yeah. yeah. So the okay. thing is, is it's two different things. There's straight edge. Which you know, once you pledge to be straight, that's it. it. It's it's a it's a, for me. Looking at it now, I've been straight edge twelve years, and to me, it's a spiritual thing. It's a personal thing. I don't see it's not religious at all, and I don't care what. Like I said, whatever anyone else does, but for me, it's all about. I, I base my life and my my identity, I guess, on these set of principles. And I'm straight edge. I abstain from substances for myself. I'm vegan because I got into batch farming. And I couldn't have it on my conscience. That's all it was. I didn't care about being healthy. I didn't care about anything else. I saw these videos of what was going on. No one had told me anything about this before. No, no one in school had told me about this. I learned myself. I taught myself through the internet. And I thought, fuck that. I'm not having that on my conscience. But I thought it was too hard back then. Because you've got to remember, this is um, 2008. And back then, bruv, if you were vegan, 
you had to fucking eat a lot of food before you left the house because you weren't eating you weren't out. Eat. So what had happened is I was only vegetarian for three weeks and I, it was getting up to my 18th birthday and I thought, yeah, when I'm 18, I'm going vegan. I thought, that's so dumb. That sounds so dumb. So that day I just said, no, I'm going vegan now. So it was, it was like a few weeks before my 18th birthday. Wait, wait. I was what just did, like... If you don't mind me asking, what did your parents do? What it was is my, my dad loves meat, but my mum... Uh, for 20 No, I mean, sorry, in, I'm trying to figure out, like, where the hell did you get this fucking determination and be able to, this decision to be able to, like, you're making decisions that not many people your age can make uh, and, and be, um, have conviction of your thought to do so. I come from a stable family where I'm very blessed and I'm very, very grateful for it in the sense that my parents met. You know, when I t- so this is the thing, when I tell people my parents are lawyers, they think, oh, the debate stereotypes that they're rich and all this. M- my parents um, met through working together and both my parents um, start- studied law to become, um, to help people out with legal aid. So what it is, is that my dad's a housing lawyer for legal aid and they run a little firm together in West London. And what it is, my mum does family law, she deals with divorce and, um, you know, uh, separation of kids and etc and through that um i wonder if i guess i learned a set of morals in the sense that you know it's kind of like my girlfriend working at battersea she, she works at battersea for fuck all but it's a charity and she has a love of dogs she dedicates her life to dogs not just animals but dogs she loves all animals but dogs yep. her life is dogs she she misses lunch every day for those dogs and i think it's that same thing in the sense that my parents dedicated their lives to legal aid. Now they've changed legal aid, so it's very hard to make any money from it. And it's very hard to get it for if you're a certain person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a friend that in order to get legal aid to fight her criminal case, she had to quit her job to be eligible. So what it is, is I'd say going back to the point, I learned from my parents um, right and wrong, I guess. And I feel like I was brought up right. You know, I'm very blessed that my parents are still uh, married and they're still together and they're in a functioning relationship. Whereas I've got a lot of friends, you know, it was very, very rare back then. I only had two friends that their parents weren't divorced or something. And I think having that stable basis, you know, it brought me up right, I guess. But I, I also I kind of had the time to think and question things. That That is definitely part of it. Obviously, having the mum and dad at home is definitely a part of it. But I think I, I wonder whether their profession had something to do with the way you think. Because if they're... They're dealing with right and wrong every day and um, trying to help people and also dealing with disaster and what pro- how problems occur in people's lives and then that your parents have been there in times to help people through these instances. People need housing lawyers for a reason and it could have been due to... I wonder whether there was like, you know, overhearing conversations, the way your parents brought you up, made you think okay cool i have to make my decisions i've got to do this and i've got to be strong with my belief of it yes yes having a mum and dad at home and having that been able to have those conversations just normally is obviously a benefit we understand that in life but i think there's more to it than that because yeah i think it's quite that what you the things you dedicated yourself to i think well, fuck it, no matter where you're from is a hard thing to do and i wonder whether it's a bit of inspiration from there and well, music's obviously a big key, but as you say, a lot of your friends didn't. I never thought about it in that way. I've never thought about it in that way. I think you could have a point. I think. I wonder. That's all. You know. You know, you know what it is? Is back then, 
It's funny what you say, because you're right. I didn't get into graffiti through hip hop, but back then the only rappers I'd ever heard is like buying like 50 cent in the club mm. on fucking disc on a mm. single or Eminem mm. or, you know, the rapper from Lincoln Park. That's the only rap I'd heard. Yeah. Like, I was genuinely listening to, obviously I'd heard rap, but I didn't get into it. And I think people listening to music, like they're listening to pop music. They're listening to like Britney Spears or something. Good luck with that. But my moral compass was certified because I was listening to this music, which was saying, fuck racism, fuck sexism, fuck homophobia, be a legit person, stand up and be counted. You know, do you want to have this on your conscience? Do you want to get, um, there, there's, there was one song called, um, you know, like you have a restaurant where it's like, bring your own bottle. It was called like BYOB. There was BYOR, like bring your own revolution. And it was just basically talking about, you know, like crust punks that talk a lot about politics and about, you know, politically correct things, but they just get drunk and sit around in the park and do fuck all. Mm. And I was sick of that, man. And it, I felt like you got to take it in your own hands. Like, really be the change you want to see in the it, world. Man. I really you, admire it. I think I, it's amazing. You know, I went to a few protests and stuff, but I realised I was going on stuff like fur demonstrations and animal cruelty and, and fuck all was getting done because there was more police than there was protesters. It was a joke. I went with, you know, I, I've been, I've done my fair share. I was at the G8. Um, you know, I was at all these protests before fucking people even heard about the student riots and it, it went nowhere. It, mm. In the UK, a protest is A to B. It's a march from Hyde Park Corner to wherever. I've been on, you know, uh, marches against the Israeli embassy and et cetera, et cetera. And I just think I kind of, I, I have a moral compass and I want to be able to judge myself and I'm my own worst critic and I don't want to be, you know, called out on things uh, for no reason. You know, I want to have a set of beliefs and I want to kind of base my life on them. And I, yeah, I would say some of that definitely does come from my parents because my parents have done an amazing job of raising me and I'm forever in, you know, my mum's debt for carrying me for like nine months in her, in her womb. Like, I think you can never, you know, when I, when I walk around now and when I listen to music, which is kind of like, hating on women and stuff we all came from a woman and it, it, it saddens me but it's it's a different thing these days you know i think the things you're surrounded by when you grow up evidently you know we should all agree on form you in later life and i tried to surround myself with things that did that and i think going on from that expanding on that i, I didn't really surround myself with anyone um in the sense that i was painting so much graph i started really going to gigs i i was I was sick of it, man. I was sick of the people at Harkle Geese because there was a lot of hypocrisy and it it just became another scene. It was another trend and da da da. So what I was doing is <clears throat> I felt like I'd even needed to get my release from a gig or from graffiti. So if I went to a gig, normally my mates would be like, yeah, let's go paint afterwards. But I'd moshed and I'd punched people in the face and sung my heart out all night. I didn't want to go graph because I I got it all out of me for the day. You did feel that. But then other times yeah. I just thought... I went to a gig and I looked around and I didn't really like what I was seeing. It was a lot of bullshit, man. There was a lot of talk and no one was really doing anything. You know, there's people talking about big issues, but no one was really living it. They just cared about the nicest sneakers they were wearing or whatever. They just had the cool shoes and the cool clothes and it was bullshit. So I stopped going to gigs for a while and I just really got like deeper and deeper into graph. And I was only chilling with like Teco really and Aura. That They were the only people I was chilling with. My friends outside of graph didn't, you know, looking back at it, I've lost friends through graph because there's really close friends I had that basically I didn't spend enough time with. And they just, I guess they couldn't relate to what I was doing at the time. They, you know, they were cool with it. They were like, oh yeah, you're, you're right. And da, 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 da. But I didn't spend enough time with them building those relationships and friendships and forming the, the kind of yeah. tightness that people have now. That happens, man. 
It happens, but it's... That happens. I, I think I see the pros and cons of it. You know, at the end of the day, some friends are with you for life. And there's some friends that I haven't seen in years, but I know if I see them, it would just be the same because yeah. we've got that relationship. But I think going back to the straight thing, when you're not... Around, people are scared of what they don't know. And when you're not drinking and not doing drugs and say friends that are not straight edge now, I think they're unsure of what I think of them or because I've been out doing graffiti, I've been around a different, not a scene because I'm not in a graffiti scene. I don't, I love graffiti. I don't like graffiti writers. I like being, doing graffiti. I don't want to talk about it. I never got that. Back in the day when we were reading like stuff like Graph London, it just seemed like the neakiest thing you could do is like talk about graffiti like I never liked to go into private views or graph jams or whatever that shit because I just found it ridiculous because it's like, for me, graffiti's always been a personal thing because like I said, looking back on it and examining it now for what it was, I was a, a depressed 18-year-old who had no other outlet apart from graffiti and I put everything, all my what did you think my hatred your... and everything into it. What did you think about real life at that time then? So What you, was you, real life? So real life to me was going to Holston Job Centre. No, no, yeah, so there was no job. It was still the job centre. I, were... I was at my parents, no rent. Roehampton's backed off completely now. You've missed that opportunity. Yep. And you're just living off like 50 quid a week. But obviously living the life you, you think you want to be living at that time. You're cool. I didn't care about anything. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. There was no real life. What I happened then? You'd done that for how long and... Because you, you got up. I did that for a couple of years. And then what had happened is it got to a boiling point. I'd done it all. I'd bombed everything. And I got reckless. And I walked from the roundhouse in Camden to central London with a soul tip marker full of metal etch. And I metal etched everything on the way. Any piece of metal, broad daylight, metal etched it. Me and Taco. Went to Triangle Station. Did a massive 25 mil reach on the Chancross station, uh, shutter, uh, inside gate, yam. While I was doing it, so-and-so was meant to be looking out for me, but he didn't. And I got nicked by undercover police. Went to Chancross police station. Da -da -da -da. Ended up getting a caution, long story short. They wanted more than a caution, but I didn't, you know, I was a good boy. I didn't have any fucking previous. Got the caution. Uh, another long story short. Um, bombing, bombing, bombing. I just told everyone, stop bombing, yam, we'll be fine. But what happened is student rights. I wasn't at the student rights, but they set up a whole dedicated police team. And I could prove to them, they basically came knocking one day, two undercover DCIs. Um, you know, I, I'd i seen other kind of a police, but I never really had police on my door like that. Yeah. So that was kind of a new level for me. And basically, I was on bail for two years. Um, I was laughing because I knew I wasn't at the protests. And I had a, a stub actually from a gig that I showed them. And I said, and that I proved that I wasn't at the riots. So they dropped the idea that I was at the riots. They just basically wanted me for this one tag. I did a tag in 2008 when I was toy on the arches that go from Trafalgar Square down to Buckingham Palace. But because someone else that I'm not going to name had done a massive tag above it that was in the student riots, I got dragged into it. Anyway, they couldn't uh, get me. They had circumstantial evidence. My house got raided twice. Um, and it basically just made me mad paranoid because my window looks out onto the front of our street. You know, getting woken up at 6am, 5am, getting the door smashed in like by like four police. It just made me mad paranoid. Like all my experiences of police up until then, I didn't really have any experiences. 
But when I got arrested in Charing Cross, you know, like they were kicking me and shit for nothing. And I, it kind of, I guess it just made me, it drove me to like want to rebel even more. You know, it was, I just saw it as an act of rebellion. Then it was like, fuck the police. You know, it was just simple. Yeah. Every little angry kid, all that angst. It made, yeah, it made sense. It, it made even more sense that the anger. But it's it like, oh yeah, here we go. This is I can aim a bit of it here. Well, the thing is, is when people say, "Oh, you can't say all co- all cops are bastards," I'm like, "You don't have to." But in my experience, that's what I've experienced. I'm not saying it just because it's in some song or it sounds cool. That is generally my experience of the police. I've had police fabricate one, lies yeah. on um, yeah. statements two times now, and you know they've lied. They've tried every trick in the book, smashing up my house, all this bollocks. So from my experience, it is all cops are bastards for me. But long story short, my, my solicitor said, you're, you're going to laugh this out of court because they've got no hard evidence. But the devil's in the detail. What happened is a hipster, a friend of a friend, had taken a picture of a Zerks tag on a bin. <sighs> he put it up on his hipster blog when blogs were still a thing. Police did some nice, lazy police work and Googled Zerks. This kid, fucking idiot, had put on his blog Zerks is my best friend, but the police don't think so. Police went to his house for his IP address. He's a neek. Did a six-page statement against me and my family. I've still got the statement to this day. He didn't realise that they're going to name him. Of course, they had to name him. My solicitor said, look, even if he doesn't go to court for whatever reason, wink, wink, he's still you know they had passed a new law in the in the past year of that that basically meant that yeah the statement with the signature is enough played guilty they wanted to get me for 24 months uh, got 12 months 13 charges no 12 charges of over five grand of criminal damage and yeah man harold crown court down in the sweat box to wormwood scrubs and did my did my three months there did three months on tag and i come out and i before going to prison, I was really smashing it. I was like, fuck them. My parents had known. I was putting my mum through hell at that point. You know, all the police coming to the door and all this shit. And I, it kind of really had wound me up. Chapter three, creativity. Harry's found his route to his creative future. He's always had it in him and it's now coming to light. He gets on a course for photography and gets fully involved. He teams up with fellow students on the course who become good friends and they put on their first show. We talk about his choice of film and style and what that means and also the subjects he shoots and how he funds his passion. And we hit a point about his behaviour in the graffiti scene and we explore the idea of him bringing his hardcore mosh pit lifestyle to graffiti. What happened is, is in, you know, while I was on bail and that, I was sick of working dead-end jobs. I was working in like, you know, a kitchen porter, like scrubbing pots and pans in this pizza restaurant and delivering pizzas on a pushback. It was ridiculous minimum wage and I was sick of it man I was so sick of it so just as I was sick of education before I was sick of work now sick of dead end jobs not grafting but dead end jobs no future I had no future and I basically said no I need to get back into education so so real life caught up after that yeah real life I I just realised I was doing nothing I was wasting life I they, well, took all the, they took all the fun out of it, you know. When I got into graph, it was so fun. It was all so new and they took all the fun out of it, man. Like you had to start wiping down your tins and you had to fucking start doing all this shit. And it, it wasn't cool anymore, man. It, it was long. It, they made it long. The police made it long because it got to a point where if I got stopped again, I was going to flop this case and I wanted to beat this case. And I proper thought I was going to beat the case until I got snitched on. 
So what had happened is while I was on bail, I put a portfolio together and I applied to Kensington and Chelsea um, College, which is in Fulham, Fulham Broadway. And I applied to CSM um, Foundation Art and Design course. And within 15 minutes, you know, I put my heart into this. Back then, I put my heart into this portfolio, man. Like, I was going mad. Like, I was going to exhibitions, and my mum was probably trying to help me out. And I was doing these really whack drawings of, like, Chinese characters. And, you know, all the cliche uh, collages and whatever, anything bait you can think of. Everything into this big A3 black book. And I had a portfolio to go with it. And um, I remember going to this little room and... Yeah, they, within 10 minutes they said mate it's, it's just not good enough unfortunately you're gonna have to do like a not even you'd have to do an mvq and i said mate it's never gonna happen i'm i'm so old now you know i'm like at this stage i'm like 20 or something like not even at this stage i was probably like 21 man 22 and i was like yeah it's not happening not so like anyway got rejected from there but i'd only applied to two places remember on the final day csm emailed me in csm foundation my head was blown did a foundation for a year at csm passed it in this time i was on bail so i finished my course at csm within a month went to court got sentenced went to prison did three months came out on the 4th of october and they'd done something where my mum was pushing it because the solicitors Back then, it wasn't really happening. So my mum basically did all the paperwork herself for the tag because everyone in prison is like, yeah, you're not... There's an eligibility date for tag and no one ever gets it. It's always a fucking few weeks later. So I was like... I was on the wing, didn't know what was happening and they basically re called out my prison number and said, yeah, Harry Conway, get your stuff. You need to go report to the gate. And I was like, but my, all my washing's in the... The laundrette in it because what you do is you drop it off in like a laundrette and there's a prisoner that has a privilege to wash everyone's clothes i was like what about my clothes and they're saying well you can wait for your clothes but you're not leaving prison today you have to wait till the next day oh, fuck it so there's probably some bitty walking around in my like boxes right now which is mad that's nuts but i thought i need to get out i need to get out so left prison two duffel bags what was the sentence what did you get 12 months 12 months yeah. 12 months you do six normally, but because it's a non-violent crime, yeah. get tag. Wicked. So three months in um, scrubs, Jesus. three months on tags. And what happened is, is the dean of UAL and the warden of scrubs had been in conversation and I got out on my exact eligibility date. So I did exactly three months. I did the 4th of July to the 4th of October. And with a day of being out, I've enrolled in university. Because you've got to remember, before I went to prison, I'd already set out my amazing, my BA courses. So I'd already applied for degree courses for like Chelsea, Camberwell, uh, CSM and London College of Communication. And yeah, with a, without a day of being out, I've basically enrolled. And I, the woman said to me like, oh, what's been going on? And I was like, oh, I'll just come out of prison. She's like, oh, I don't want you going back. I think they'd been told, I don't know. But I remember going to my first tutorial and everyone was going around the class and it's crazy now it sounds so dumb but in my cell i've been thinking of what what i do as my project i thought i need to use this you know in a creative positive way i need to flip this somehow so i thought obviously first project when i come out i'm gonna do like i'm gonna do a project about it so in tutorial classic you know getting to know each other exercise semicircle what's your name everyone's talking about their projects and it's these old style tables which you kind of slot under 
and it's a single table layout and it gets around to me and I'm like, hi everyone, my name's Harry. Um, I've just come out of prison. This is my project. And everyone like all these kind of like middle-class, like white kids that have been in a proper safe, like comfortable bubble looking around like, what the fuck? And for the first few months, apparently I was just known as like the prison boy in uni. I was the prison boy, like, oh, that guy's been in prison. So everyone, I was already an outcast because you got to remember I was a mature student. So yeah. I was like two, three years older, oh, really? three years older than these kids. I knew what I had to do. So I had this motivation, whereas a lot of kids when they were in uni didn't. When, um, when you were put on bail and you, you started to apply for these courses and they were trying to push you down to MBQ or whatever, but putting together portfolios, was that, um, because it wasn't music you chose to try to go back and study, it was art. I was never any good at music. Music was an outlet. So music you loved, but you knew you weren't going to follow that route. So it was going to be like, fuck, I'm not going to do the dead end jobs. I'm going to get more education. And the first thing I'm going to jump into is I'll try and do an art thing. And so you put together, you, you, you knew basically you were creative. You thought, fuck it, there, must, there is something here. I am creative. I know I can get into a, a, I can study creativity a bit more. I knew at GCSE level, I loved art. I loved it. It was somewhere I could go and forget about the bullshit, you know? Mm. And I think... I don't want to say a graph was that because it wasn't. It was like different. But an outlet of creativity, it was a freedom. It was like a license to just be there and do your thing. And I'd done so many ridiculous things and I felt so lost. Like going back into some routine, you know? Yeah. When you're on the dole and that, you've got no routine and you're waking up mad times of the day because you've gone to bed mad times of the night and it, it gets confusing. And I live that life, man. I hear that. I'm kind of going back into that now still. Yeah. It's mad. But, <laughs> but it's, what, you know, I basically got lost and I needed to go back to routine, man. Like cycling pizza for minimum wage and scrubbing pans and like coming home like, and I've eaten dinner like at 10 o'clock, so I'm not going to bed till like two or something. It just wasn't working anymore, man. I needed a break. So creativity just seemed like the shining light of like back to routine, back to stability, back to... It was the thing you knew that you could, that would help you get back into that. Yeah. And that's, you know, being timing, blunt about though, it, like, being blunt about it, it wasn't pretty because I really wanted to go back to it just so I could say I was actually doing something with my life. Oh like, no, of course. Actually, you, at that when age, people you probably s- wouldn't have had the answer. You didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't even know what you were going to do at the end of that year. I only did a degree. I did a foundation, Lula. I did a foundation so I could say, I could find out what I wanted to do. Mm. I was doing art for this foundation. Through the foundation, I realized I wanted to carry on my photography. I was, I was shooting digital photography there. That's where I got it. So I went into LCC because of the darkroom and all the facilities for photography. But the only reason I did that degree was not for a degree. I didn't give a fuck about a degree. I just did the, 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 the course. So I had three years of when people say to me, oh, what are you doing when I'm out at parties or whatever, or like gigs? I'm doing a degree. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. So it you're took, doing something with your life. You're not a tramp. Pressure. Yeah, it took the pressure off. You're actually, you know, because yeah. when I was writing graph, it was like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm just on door. Yeah, but you could also be a proud writer as well, depending who you were talking to. Because if you yeah, in- but I wasn't like that. Like going back to what you said, I only got into like hip hop through graph. Like uh, all the other writers um, that I met through graph was like 
passing through legals or just out on the street just being you know little scumbags and shit and yeah, so it wasn't I, I didn't really want to I didn't like pro- it it wasn't a proclamation really, no man so. I didn't like any of it man yeah you met the odd person that was cool but let's get it straight everyone's doing graft because it's an outlet and it's an escape it's another escapism yeah. I didn't go to the pub on a Friday night and fucking drink a six pack I didn't drink like eight pints or whatever I went and painted walls yeah. that was my escape I did it until I was exhausted and I had to sleep and so every graffiti writer was no one wants to say it. But everyone's out for themselves. Yeah, everyone's out for themselves, man. And it, 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 it's it, an yeah. escape. Like yeah. no one really cares about each other. And you know, you're putting all these crews and stuff. That was all bullshit to me. I didn't really give a fuck. Like well, when I first started out, I tell you what, there's levels to the culture though, because I, I can say having experienced a few levels of the culture, and, and I, as I, I never got to the level you look, got to, but yeah, there were different levels because the love. No, nah, but the you did because you that. got to a different level in the sense that you went down the more arty route. And yeah, I went that's down where the vandalism route. Yeah, but I experienced the friendships. I did, I painted trains for 10 years, you know what I mean? I ran through Northwest London for years, like, and, and got up, got up, got up, and it was a different group of friends to what I found when I started painting legally. So yeah, what you're saying is right, but it doesn't run throughout the whole graph scene, but the part is you didn't even go into that part of the graph scene either. It, you stayed on that illegal thing. I just, I remember people saying to me, oh, come down to Leak Street and there's a jam, and I thought, why the fuck would I want to do that? Like, there's certain certain people do though, isn't it? There's there, there, some people. What this is what I'm saying. You've come you come at it from such an interesting and different angle. Like I, I think there's more, and whether you know it yet or not, and whether there's more to discuss here. I think there is probably more to discuss here, not now. But it, the point is, is that the angle you came to graffiti from and those years, it was fueled with something completely different to the majority of the scene. I think you know what it is. Is in Ameri- in London, yeah. In the UK, yeah. Not anymore. But in America, instead of hip-hop, a lot of kids, well, not a lot of kids, but some kids go to punk gigs and then they go paint graph. Because yeah. you've got different tribes still. In the UK now, it's happening. I see it. I, I, I kind of love it in a sense. And I like the fact that people go on tours around Europe and America and they're tagging on the way. And... But yeah, I guess you're right. I hear what you're saying. You come from a different. I angle. just, I think, I think there's more. To, like, if if we got into the psychological whole aspect of yes, it, I, I bet there is an immense fucking linking story there. Look, let's let's jump back to uni. So you you started uni. I've started uni. I'm the prison boy. You know, I'm a fucking weirdo. And yeah, I'm doing my things, but I'm not really feeling it. But I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. It's better than dead dead end jobs and. I'm on tag. That's a three-year course you're doing as well. It's yeah. a three-year course, but at the start, I'm still going home to be home at seven o'clock. Mm. Um, not really enjoying it, but while I'm at uni, I'm shooting digital photography because I'm vegan. I'm not shooting film photography because in film, there's silver gelatin. When you, Most people don't know this, but when you go to an exhibition, next time you go to an exhibition, look at the photographic prints and where it says the title and the artist's name, it'll say, if it's a good print, it'll probably say silver gelatin print. And what that is, is that in the film emulsion and in the film paper, you've got animal gelatin. There's animal substance in that to hold it together, whatever, whatever technical terms. So basically keeps you as a choice, chosen vegan to... So I abstained from that. So I wasn't shooting film because... And I made a big thing about it at uni and people were like, oh, okay, cool. People just thought I was a bit of a wacky hippie, I think. But anyway, I was doing that. But what's funny about it is I finished uni... Didn't make many friends. Made one good one. Did you pass? Yeah, man. I got a 2-1. Oh, wicked. I got a 2-1, man. Oh, I was, I was At the time, I was like, whatever. I don't know what a 2-1 is. But yeah. like, you were happy. <laughs> my mum was that. happy, so yeah. I was happy. Wicked. You know, yeah. you know them ones. Fucker. 
Um, but I passed. But what it was is I finished university, and through a prisoner um, ex-offender scheme for a prisoner charity, I started invigilating art exhibitions, got a part-time job. And I was back to working part-time, dead-end job. But this time, I wasn't going hard on the graph. Now I got back into photography and I started walking around. I've been walking around Soho and walking around at night for a few years now. So during my foundation, I did a project on London at night. And I was kind of revisiting the spaces I'd been to. And I was, well, all right. So the original idea when I was doing the foundation was when we had stretchy buses in London. This is one thing I miss about London so much is... Even, you know, we had stretchy buses and it was free journeys everywhere. And, you know, the police would raid the bus. And I remember yeah. I'd stolen at Odeon. We had a sick fucking, um, what's it called? What's it called when you lose something? Uh, the Lost Property. Sector. Lost Property. Yeah. Sorry. Brain fine. So Lost Property. So, but then times there was no proper record. So I had free freedom passes. <laughs> I had kid passes. I had everything. And because all these old biddies were coming to cinema or whoever and, just, and dropping it down the seat. Because yeah, yeah. Oyster Cards were new back then. Yeah. And I remember I was on this 207 up to see my boy in West Eland and the police raided the bus undercovers with, you know, it was mad. What they do is they stop the bus outside the police station and they just ram it full of feds and it's just, and you, so you see, you see like middle-aged men and women yeah. going to touch the reader and I'm like, yes, like someone's mumsy is yeah, actually yeah, going yeah. to touch the Blade, reader. Everyone's on it. it. I lived, when I lived on Kings and Road, I lived above the Tesco's halfway up Kings and Road. 149. And they used to raid the 149 outside my house. Yeah. It'd be I'd be like, you, I can't believe the amount of money. It was madness. It was nuts. Because no one was paying for that bus no, and no. I loved it. So <laughs> I got raided and I, I was, must have been having a slow day. I gave the fucking freedom pass to the geezer to check it. Because I thought it would just read like, yeah, cool. But he obviously saw it's a freedom. It's some old biddy on the front. Some old woman. He's saying, yeah, mate, we're going to have to have a chat about this. So they've taken everyone off the bus that's like dodgy. Fuck. And one Somalian brother, I remember, he just skits out. He just went mad at the feds. And all the feds like rammed on this Somalian brother. And in the like chaos, I slipped around the back of the bus. <laughs> And I went around the far side of the bus, and as it was pulling off, I was running alongside it. Yes. So the police were back there, and I was running alongside. I just dipped on the other side of the road, and I was gone. Because that's fraud, isn't it? Yeah, you, you can't can... be getting. No, no fuck that. Not so after that shit. I'm out of that. And that was I bent the other freedom pass, so that was my last one. Yeah. But anyway, I thought where you know back then on uh, stretchy buses, people lived on these buses. Yeah. So I thought, where did they all go when they took the stretchy buses away? So I kind of started going around so and Chinatown, and I realised at two a.m., three a.m. In central London, Chinatown and so are the only places that are alive on a, like a Monday, Tuesday night. Yeah. And these people have just gone on back onto the roads. Um, and not all of them are homeless, but they're just kind of like wanderers, I called them. I called them like wanderers. Like they, you might have uh, mental health issues or substance issues. They just wandered. But anyway, in uni, when I come out of prison, I thought I'm going to revisit the locations I was doing when I was doing graph. So I went back to track sides, all these spots, and I did like long exposures. Um, on my digital grammar of, um, and it kind of culminated in a show so me and my friend um, and my brother and our mate Molly put together a show called Night on My Mind and what it was about was graffiti and um, Molly had just done a, a mini documentary what, to get into film school Molly was like a year or two younger than me she filmed me at Trellick painting a piece and it, was, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was whatever. But it got her into the, the film school. But then she wanted to expand on it. 
So she filmed me, my friends, other graffiti writers, my parent, like my dad, my brother. And she screened this documentary. I showed my photos of the tracks. My friend showed his black and white film photographs of tracks, Ivan Blimmins. And my brother showed these paintings about how graffiti and like getting raided and his experiences of being around graffiti. Anyway, we called it Night on My Mind and we did it in these railway arches behind Waterloo Station on Lower Marsh um, Street by uh, Lambeth North Tube Station. And, you know, it, I guess at the time we didn't realise it, but it was quite a big thing for us because we'd never done it. Like, this was our first show. Like, it wasn't some white cube space and we just hung a few prints up. Like, we drove out to Gypsies outside London and uh, bought yard fence, a uh, proper yard fence. We built a wall out of yard fence. We bought raids of wire. We stole things and we made it this immersive show. We lit it all fucked up. And it was like, you're going into this railway arch. There's trains going above you every 10 minutes. There's razor wire and there's all these photographs of graph. There's this documentary playing. And yeah, what happened is we emailed all the press agencies and no one wanted, you know, no one gave a fuck. And no one came down. But then this geezer had walked by with his wife and he used to work for Channel 4 and he was like, Channel 4 needed to see this and he got in contact with them and a news crew turned up and he got on the ID website and the Metro and it was like, raw, like we can actually get out to some people. And I think that kind of gave me some belief that, yeah, there's a bit more to this. Like I kind of, I had a taste, you know, it kind of touched a bit of my hunger and I thought, yeah, there's something like we can do here. So I think from that show, I realised my photography was worth something. It was the first time I kind of felt like worth something. So I just ran with it and kept shooting nighttime, kept shooting long exposures, but I kind of, I wasn't doing it as well as some people, notably my friends. So I just basically cut that out and slowly but surely I was walking around Soho at night and I was taking people's pictures and I got back into film photography and I guess... <laughs> The, these times people don't really care you know it's 2018 and people see veganism as they just don't eat meat or whatever there's some jokes I wouldn't wear leather I wouldn't even wear fucking down jackets at one point but I guess I relaxed and I thought you know what I had a chat with my mate when I went I toured the east coast of America that summer he's like a lifelong vegan he's like I, I kind of looked up to him in a way he's a tattooer you, you'd go on the road and just tattoo out of motels and lived this his dad was like a traveling clown and i really looked up to him he was just like this weird guy but his tattoos were so sick and he he'd been like vegan for a crazy amount of time and he was shooting film and i said yo like you know it's not vegan he's like i know man but like there's so many other things in the world going on and really like the way he explained it was like or he justified it was like yeah it's not vegan but every time i shoot this i just think really and truly how much gelatin is actually in it one am i contributing to the death of animals i don't know it's a byproduct and i guess it sounds kind of bullshit now but he said like every time i shoot film i kind of do something you know in aid of animals he's basically his brother made a documentary called cowspiracy which is now seen as like okay. the biggest like vegan documentary it's, it's crazy but anyway i kind of thought about it and i thought yeah man like i'm sure i'll just start shooting a lot of expired film and Film that's just probably going to go in the bin, you know? Because I loved film. I'd got my passion, remember, from sick form in the darkroom. And the whole of university, I didn't actually shoot film. And it felt so stupid. And, um, no, you were, you were learning about what you, the route you'd chosen to take, man. I think it was a good... That was a character-building time. It was, to, but... To fall in love with something 
like film and then to make that decision for three years like no i've made this other decision which i'm gonna i'm gonna let it rule but that that's character building yeah it, was it confused dis- my principles that's that, what it was yeah but it whatever happened man that's again it's a it was a learning process really and it was, was a learning curve but going more back abstinence. into it i basically yeah i was abstaining from it and the thing is for me is i i, ju- I judge people on their principles and i judge my friends very harshly on their principles and like I said, that's just how I base my life. It's, it's kind of like an OCD. Like, at the end of a, a meal, I don't like food in front of me. It's crazy. Okay. I stack, everyone, I stack everyone's plates up. Yeah. I'm not joking. I stack everyone's plates up and I put them to the side. Or, yeah, I move the salt and pepper around. I move the vinegar. Whatever. I've got OCD. I've got issues. But it's the same thing. I, with my principles, if people don't align to them, then I don't fuck with them. That's yeah. it. That's fair enough, I, I man. prefer to be on my own. I mean, look, you're, it's not as if you're taking heroin and saying, look, if you're not going to take heroin with me, you can fuck oh, yeah. off. You're actually, you're, pre, you're not even preaching, but what you're proclaiming is something really this positive and straight up. I've There's, never done this. There isn't much negative stuff you're saying, look, I'm about, but If people didn't ask with. me about veganism or people didn't ask me about straight edge, I don't talk about it. Because for me, straight edge, yeah. like I said, I'm 28 now, um, you know, well, I'm 28 in a month. I'm getting old, man. And it's a personal thing. I don't really give a fuck. I can go to the pub with someone and if they're talking sense, that's fine. But if they get so drunk, they're talking nonsense and they just want to fight people. I don't really want to hang around with them. It's them ones. So yeah, yeah. for me, I don't preach about it unless people ask about it. And with veganism, I just thought, you know what? I, I'm actually being vegan so long now. Like, I'm going to shoot film, man. Like it's really, it's a byproduct. I'm not buying, I don't know, 10 rolls of fucking film a day. Like, yeah. I'm not blasting through it. And, you know what's funny, and I've never really said this, but I, I thought about it a lot, is at the start especially, I felt it was kind of sacred. Like, I didn't really shoot many frames of the film because I didn't want to waste the film, you know? Like, I don't like wasting food. It's I'm really... Yeah. I don't like wasting food because I'm like, that's being, you know, grown for us. Like, you know, it's taken a long time and throwing it away just seems like a waste. So going back to uni, you know, we're getting taken to exhibitions, group building. What happened before this is I'd known there were some other writers in the year, but I didn't know who. And I'd actually been next to him a few times. Obviously two or three young, years younger than you. Two years younger. Two, two years younger. And um, what happened is I knew there was graffiti writers in London College Communication. It was very well known. There was tags everywhere of big writers. And gone to Tate Britain and... <laughs> This guy that I just met, I was like, oh, chilling with this other guy. Turns out this other guy's a graffiti writer. I was like, oh, is it? Like, what'd you write? And he's like, oh, I write 1032. And the, the funny thing is that when I was writing... The, same course? Same course. It's a small course. But what had happened is, is that when I was writing Zerks, I was uh, taking out a lot of people. I was doing mad frops and I was just taking people out just to fuck with them. <laughs> I was just ragging on people for no reason. There was no real reason with a lot of people. It's I'm like sorry to a lot of people. Mosh pit. Yeah. It's punching in the mosh it's, pit. It's, it's not personal. It's random violence. That's what it is. It's random violence. There's no, you know, maybe when I was getting drunk and getting aggressive, it's the same thing. Yeah. I was getting high on adrenaline, having my sugary drinks and being like, fuck it, let's take out this person. Because for me, there just wasn't enough space in London. Everything was bombed out. So anyway, I started taking out this crew OPD and I just ragged on them. And I don't know why I did it because even my friends Teco and Oro are like, we're not getting involved. We don't want to be a heartless. And I, I remember being on tracks in like Dalston and like I was taking one of them out 
And they were like, don't hit me up next to him. I don't want to get involved. And I was like, nah, it's fine. And, you know, they used to get pissed with me about it. But anyway, I had this long running beef. Pools. It didn't really get squashed. And then... Was it a proper back and forth? Yeah. It yeah, man. It, it went you off. You take like, them, they take you. You take No, nah, so this is the thing is I ragged on that whole crew. And out of OPD, none of them, none of them actually got on it apart from Temp. He was the only one that consistently took back the spots and uh-huh. took, started coming to my ends and taking me out. And I was like, right, this guy's kind of on it. And so what happened is years it later. went back and forth. Years later, we're in the same uni course. We're doing, doing photography. And it's like, oh, all right, we kind of have to get on now because <laughs> so there's no says, way. We're here to, three years together. Temp says he's Temp. And you're like, oh, did and he know outside Tate Britain. And he, so he knew I was. Oh, right. And he's like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> no, so obviously he knew I was. I didn't know him. I was like, so I was like, this in morning. All right, cool. What'd you write? Mm, classic. What'd you write? Um, and he's 10. And yeah, just we squashed it because we had to. Yeah, of course. We we're on a three year course together and we've ended up becoming the best friends. And it's a few years past the fact as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. A couple of years past the fact. A couple of years past the fact. And I guess we just kind of laughed at it. It was stupid, man. I was being a dickhead, basically. But basically, what happened is, is that I used to rag on a lot of people. And I, me, me and Teco had ended some people's graphical careers, if you want to put it that way. There's some people that we dogged out. We made a point of going out nightly and taking them, them people out until they stopped doing graph. Were you, were you bullying or were, was it... We weren't bullying. We were teaching people a lesson. Okay. There, there was a group from Harrow. I'm not going to name names, but there was a group from Harrow. They were calling him and saying... You're chatting shit about my nan or my sister or some bollocks and you've taken me out. Some utter shite, you know, up them sides. I like them sides, like Rice and that. And I got on the phone because Teko was a bit younger than me and I said, bruv, the guy's told you he hasn't taken him out. Just leave it at that, squash it. And then the kid, because I ain't chatting shit to me, I said, all right, cool, mate. We've given you the chance to just walk away from this. We don't want any problems, but you keep coming over it and calling us up and saying you're going to murder us and all this weird shit. Ended up just going, we didn't bully them. They tried to bully us and we and put them out of action. Yeah, yeah. So from them times, I just got really into taking people out. Taking out OPD and I didn't rate them. But because Temp had taken me out consistently, I had props. Yeah. Because I thought, you know, he's actually come back and he's come back quite well. So I respected him in it's a way. So like a good war, man. It was a, Yeah, it was a mutual respect. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. now we're in the same um, degree course. We're in the same photography course. We have to get on. And from then, we've been best friends. Because it's, it's past graffiti and it's gone into art and creativity and just life. Yeah. And breaking away from these basic kind of, well, look, sometimes basic graffiti attitudes and just coming into life, man. Listen, I'll tell you what, it, they're all building blocks, man. Every, every single stage of it is, it's all a building block. It all leads on to something else that happens next. And yeah, there's the simplest forms of graph, and you know, there's many levels within it. And then the things we get to do later on in our careers are... You know, completely What's actually funny is, is that that story I've just told from that, I remember there was, there was people calling up temp saying, chatting shit to him. And then I remember getting on the phone and doing the same thing and saying, look, he doesn't want to fight you. Um, just leave it. And it's got no need to. And they carried it on because it's simple graph. Yeah. This is why I quit graph. Um, it's not going to prison or any of that. I'd done the whole city thing. I didn't really do the train thing too well. And I was bored of it. But why I got out of it was the competitiveness. I hate, I call it one-upmanship. That's what I call it. And I got sick of it. And that's why I got into photography. Not the, the main reason, but part of the reason, because the one-upmanship killed it for me. The, the police killed it for me. I, basically, I, you know, the police made it to a point where you had to do it, this military regime. I know there were some crews that were going out in full disposable like crime scene units to go paint trains. 
And then, you know, so they didn't get any specks of paint on their fucking nice shoes and shit. And it was bullshit, man. Like the way I got into it was DIY, punk hardcore, going out and bomb my name, covered in ink. And da, 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 da. So the police killed it for me. But it, for me, the reason I actually have stopped doing graph and I'm not active anymore is the one-upmanship. I'm sick and tired of the egos and the bullshit of I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. <clears throat> I must say though, I, I I see exactly what you're saying, and I can I can agree as well. What you're saying, but it's that's your vision and your experiences of that of that world. It that, is that has to be kind of stated because it is different for everyone. It's different for everyone, but as well, I think from your perspective, correct me if I'm wrong. You've come from a background where you've got a lot of friends in Graf and you've seen a lot of the positive sides in the sense that you've been in crews that have a large amount of people that are all going out together and such and such. What you've got to remember is I'm an outsider. Yeah, I see myself what, that's, as a that's lurcher. a perception. It's, it's, it's not actually the case. Maybe different, but you got to remember, I, like, yeah. I, I didn't get into graph through hardcore and stuff. I've got into graph through hardcore and punk and I see myself as like the yeah. lurcher. That's I'm the loner, I've, the outsider. Yeah, that's what I'm really, that's what I think I was on about earlier and what I'm really intrigued at. And so that, that's why I say, you, you've got every right to say the bullshit and the competitive. Because that's my experience. Because it's your but experience. It's not everyone's experience. Not everyone. And, and that's why I think it's, as I say, at some point in your life, there's probably, you're going to be like, you'll wake up and go like, ding, oh shit, look at that. And then you, all these things are going to link up and you'll be like, that's why I went militant and why I became that person in those writing years. And you'll, you'll you figure know, out. You know what it was partly was that bombing and especially going over people. That's an, that's an um, insecurity thing mm. is taking people out for no reason. Obviously, some of it was just jokes and banter, and there was some whack shit and some twist stuff. But it's also part of the culture as well. When you you you, you yeah. some of the culture as well, you'd taken some of that in. I guess as well for me, it wasn't about the artistic element. No. It wasn't. It was an expression of rage. Yeah, I, yeah. I was pissed off. I was an angry young man, and I I needed to get that out of me. And I didn't want to just go and don't get me wrong. We had some fights in the street, but it was not. I didn't want to just go and fucking fight about a football team or fight because some guys looked at me in a pub i wanted to go and let it out and all i knew at the time was graph yeah mate li literally man fighting for your name i've i've never had a problem with it man because it's, it's art i'm like well i've been my life on the line for that shit i just thought fuck it i'm gonna do it and yeah man graph was great but i think it was a chapter in the sense that i've learned a lot from it in the sense of a lot mad about myself and london but for me, it just kind of reached its point, man. Like, that's, I think I, 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 I got into graph late. That's yeah. what a lot of people don't understand. I, that's I, I think this conversation. I know we've spoken about graph a lot, but I don't think my personal opinion of it is it's not. That's not your whole story. Like, and I know you obviously oh. went through a trauma within it with with your whole with the court case and all that type of shit. But I think your story is built of many other aspects, and it's yet to be fully told. But I think. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's like it's like a it. crossover somewhere. It's a it's a crossover within what you're going to end up continuously doing. I I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I just no. I think you're on something. I just think the things I can, the bridges I can see, and the connections I can see is the repetition in the sense that painting. You know, ZDRX ZDRX is therapy for me. Mm. That therapy is the same with film. I'm taking pictures and there's a therapy of me going out and maybe walking around Soho in the same route or around London. There's a therapy of walking and taking pictures and speaking to people. Today, I walked around and I spoke to people and I met strangers. They might not be the best people in the world. They might not be my friends. I might have just hanged out with someone where they smoked crack. But getting out of the house, it's getting out of it. It's the same thing. Going outside to raise paint and do graphics was the same thing. Coming out the yeah. house. A guy, a geezer said to me in Chalk Farm today, he said... I've got a flat down the road. I'm not homeless. 
I just come out here and sit on the floor because I need to do something. Otherwise, I'll go mental. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he is homeless. But the point is, is that you're saying, I need to come out the house yeah. so my mind doesn't play tricks on me. And it's the same with me now. Yeah. I finished uni. I've got my degree. I've got a job. I'm respectable in the sense that I've got my own money and stuff. But the point is, is that I go out and take photos because I feel the need to. I don't feel the need to boost my name on doing fashion shoots or PR shoots, or whatever you want to call it. I don't care for that. I want to shoot real people. I want to hear about real things mm. in life. Because when I was out doing graph, one of my biggest regrets is not documenting it. And now, coming out into the streets of London, I just want to meet people and take portraits of people. And the, the same repetition of finishing spray cans is finishing film canisters. So I what are the your, same thing. What, what are your subjects and projects now? So for the last two years, I've been working on a book on the Bakerloo line. So... Um, the best line. That is actually the best line. <laughs> is better, the best that's line. better than your overgun. Bakerloo no line jokes. is the fuck, best line. Fuck the Northern line. Yeah, Bakerloo line. Bakerloo line is the best line. <laughs> Bakerloo line is the best line because <laughs> I've been riding that line to central London since I was a kid, from Kensal Green, from Wilson Junction, from Queen's Park. I've been getting that line to university. I've got that line from everywhere. And what it is, is that I was get from university, I, I shot a lot of projects, but they were like, I look at them now as like kind of bullshit, you know, I didn't really, I don't think there was much depth in them. And I wanted to shoot something with substance and it kind of came about in a weird way. I didn't, I didn't really think I was going to do it. And then I thought about it more and more and more. And I got really inspired by Bruce Davidson's book, Subway, where he basically documented the New York subway in the eighties, beautiful Kodachrome, the colors are mad. Go check it out. Beautiful. And the Bakerloo, unlike a lot of the other lines from my graph knowledge and this kind of, you know, as graffiti writers, we're like train spotters. We're all nerds about trains. And, it, you know, in London, a lot of the diversity and creativity and uniqueness is getting stripped. And, you know, I see it as the souls being sucked out of London. And, you know, I find it very hard to go around London now and see places which haven't been gentrified. You know, there's a fucking Costa in my area now and there's a Tesco's. There's, there's four different Tesco's. It's a joke, man. And finding real characters is what I, I yearn to see. So when I was going on the Bakerloo line, I used to see some mad shit and I thought, you know what, this is aesthetically so pleasing in the sense that it's the own, it's the oldest London Underground line running. It's going to be running for another 10 to 15 years. Carriages. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The stock, the stock running is yeah, yeah. the oldest it's running the oldest in the sense, the yeah. is the oldest running in the sense that it's got none of the mod cons, no, no CCTV, no aircon. They've just changed all the upholstery because it was dirt. Like, they, they did a test on the upholstery and they found every human fluid on it. That's mad. Like Just on a little square in there. That's nuts. And I've seen some mad things, man. I remember coming home um, from Central London one time. It wasn't even that late. And I had my earphones in. And I was doing my thing. And this geezer on them four-seaters where it's basically like, it's a two-seater really. Yeah. But it's basically where four people are meant to face each other. And every, it's normally just... A geezer will put his feet up on the seats. That's how it. But the four seaters, and I look to my left, and this geezer's like proper slapping his knees, getting a little beat going, and that. And obviously, everyone on the London Underground, there's there's a barrier up where no one talks to each other, and if you talk to each other, you're crazy. Yeah, no one looks at you. But he's banging away, and he's got a little beat going. You know, he's like he's quite good. But I take my earphone out to listen, and everyone's like, "Right, oh, it's quite good." And people clap him, and everyone, he's like, oh, "Thank you, man." Da -da -da. And then the brother just pulls out a crack pipe and just starts smoking crack on the train. And he's just hotboxed the fucking tube crack. Tube crackers ain't big. Like, they, this smell of, like, hard Sweet. food of, like, just rough fucking smoke. And I dipped off the train. It wasn't my stop. I just mm. got off at Kilburn Park. That's where I was. Mm. Got off at Kilburn Park. And I was like, yeah, I'm off. But the weird stuff I've seen on that train and the fact that 
for me, it's about documenting history. And we're going to look back at these images and think that was a time in London's history. And I think when people think of the tube, they think it's bait and it's done. But I've only seen snapshots of the London Underground. And I thought, let me not... At, at first, I, my whole idea was pick London Underground lines and say, call it, um, you know, whatever. And basically, I'll shoot the Bakerloo. My friend will shoot the Northern line. My friend will shoot the Central line. And then I thought about it. And I thought, that is not, like such a massive, like, ginormous product, yeah. like, project. So I've been shooting this book for two years now and I've shot over a thousand frames of an expired shitty Boots film, which is basically Fuji rebranded. I don't know why I start shooting it. It makes no sense. I just like the aesthetic, but basically all the skin tones come out red and, but it has this kind of vintage feel, you know, whatever it is what it is. So I, I, I basically stocked up through eBay, just kept buying this Boots film, kept buying this Boots film, all outdated. And I've just gone about taking people's portraits on the line. So I kind of started with Candid's and, standard stuff going down in escalators but now i've just kind of taken my street approach onto the tube and i kind of just i'll ride the line for maybe like two hours four hours all day and i've learned that if i eat enough food before getting on the train i can ride the tube for hours with a bottle of water there's toilets on the tube you can hop the barriers and ride it all day if you want and you can um buy a bit of a snack there's a little shop at baker street on on the platform you can buy um, a samosa, a flapjack, and I'll just ride the train like for hours at the start. I don't anymore, and I've just been getting people's portraits and basically talking to people and, and and bringing down these barriers that we have on the tube. And what I got from Bruce Davidson Subway book was the intimacy of of the um the portraiture in the sense that when people the biggest hate I have for photography is the middle ground, which I see as this kind of you're not taking a picture with lots of composition and you know stuff going on in the background and you know uh deeper levels it's just this boring middle ground that someone's just picked their viewfinder up snap taking the picture get the picture processed and they put it online and we're kind of assaulted daily on our timeline of this like visual diarrhea that's just bullshit yeah. like kind of half thoughts that someone thought oh that might be all right and they've just snapped and just wasted a frame of film and it's like i don't want to do that so on the tube what i'm trying to do is get these really close intimate portraits where i've spoken to people and they've got I've, they've given me their consent to take their picture and then i mix that up with like rush hour like no permission like flash harsh flash in people's faces and kind of got that rush hour element and then maybe peaceful images of like far away kind of pictures of someone on a platform and I'm kind of molded it. And it, for me, it's become a kind of complete project now where I'm, I'm like a few rolls away from finishing it. And it's, it's how I see the Bakerloo line. It, it, Amazing, it's, it's a document of history and yeah, man, it is taking up a lot of my time, but at the minute I'd say my main projects are that, which um, will eventually, you know, be a hardback book and will be my first book. Um, but I'm also continuing my street work where, you know, I, I basically walk around and um, I, I have a, because I've got a lot of tattoos, not even in a Niki way. I love documenting old school tattoos. So a lot of the old boys that you see out on the street now might be homeless, might just be out on the street. Um, they've been in prison or wherever else, or, you know, they're not that, you know, um, neat and, you know, normal or whatever. And they're kind of all the old era where they've got maybe their name tattooed on their hand or they've got really old traditional tattoos that they got there when they were drunk in the army or the navy or whatever and i'm continuing that work which for me is just like so important like because you stop seeing these people sometimes and it's pretty much because they've died like it's like 
it's sad to think, but some of these people you'll never see. I never see them again. Some of these people I see them weekly. Um, they're just wandering the street through uh, mental health issues or substance issues, or maybe they just like to walk around. I don't know. But and you release those in zines, those sets. Yeah. So you select photos from those sets, and basically a zine is an A5 booklet which comes from hardcore punk. Yeah. And the art world stole. Yeah zines from hardcore punk and in their like all their like museums and archives they've got the original zines from like punk shows so it's an a5 booklet um it can be on whatever you want they, they were called fanzines originally and they were on like bands and interviews and you can have like a poetry zine whatever you want but basically my zines are 40 pages 36 pages of like 35 millimeter film photos um in an a5 format and it's just a way where i kind of realized like Look, everyone's got Instagram and whatever social media. I don't care for social media. The only reason I have social media is to put my work out there to, you know, I feel like, I know this, I've got some friends that don't put their work out there at all. They don't, they refuse to have social media and they keep their work. But for me, that's scary because it's like, what's the point in making work if you're not going to share it with anyone? You know, I can get feedback and da 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 and you can share ideas and for all the negatives of social media, I mean, it could be all there's, day. There's, there's some say, great positives. I think I li- I just I don't actually use social media. I'm on it, and I, I, I as you know, I met, I got got to you on DM on there. I get to a few people, and I hate fucking interacting on that shit. Like I, I, just, I find the whole thing really jarring. But I've got no hate whatsoever towards any good content and people actually making a, a real valid use for it. Because that's, I don't mind, I'm not saying that everyone has to be something to use Instagram. I'm not saying you should be an artist to use Instagram. But Sometimes I literally just want to say on every picture, please stop taking boring pictures. Social media is bullshit, but I agree with you in the sense that your point about liking photos and putting po- photos up. I used to put up a lot of photos and now I kind of hold back a lot of them because no one needs to see your kind of half outtake, not really whole picture. When I put pictures up, I want them to be like my best work because, right, you said, we are bombarded with a visual stream of diarrhea. Mm. It's unrelenting. It it will never end. And this is another reason. I don't follow anyone. And people think it's some like cool thing or whatever. No, I just don't. Even my friends that post bollocks, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You don't want to be part of it. Literally, fuck off. Don't put it out there, man. Like you're literally, keep that to yourself. Or send it to your friend on WhatsApp. I don't give a fuck about it. Mm-hmm. You know them ones. Like, uh, social media kills me, man. It does. It kills me. I've never had Facebook. But I, I do. You know what? There's been times where I've had print releases and no matter what blog has written about it, if I put it on Insta or it's hit someone's account on Insta, I'm selling out that day. Or various I find <laughs> a lot of my artists for some of the projects I put on. I'm it's a necessary Insta, evil. It is. In 2018, I, I had mm. Facebook for one week mm. and I deleted it. And I've never had Facebook. And that was like 10 years ago. Mm. I don't have Twitter because Twitter's like going up a mountain and it's, you know, the loudest person shouting. Yeah. Instagram, look, they're all bullshit. But the point is, is that for my photography, it's great in the sense that I put it up there. I connect with people and da 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 we're all happy. But I think you make a very valid point in the sense that I've thought in the last two years a lot about the idea that people just putting work up for the sake of it, for likes and for clout basically it's all about clout people taking pictures of rappers to get clout and it's bullshit like if you get paid great i think the thing is as well though is that a lot of people are missing the point here and i don't i don't mean to call anyone out for just putting stuff up and getting that appreciation but 
let's let's not fucking not eat because of it. Like you can actually that works beautiful. Why are you not binding it? Why are you not putting it on show? Why are you not making it a film on Vimeo or or whatever? Like, is, because there is so many. Like, yeah, brilliant. Instagram can show off, but you could go and bring that. That's a product you're making right there, man. This that's, is what I thought. That's so, your creative soul, and I, I love the photos you put up. I'm I, I'm happy to see them. I don't want to know that that's all of them, because I want I want to know when I buy the book, when I get hold of that book or the other fanzine. I want to know that. Yeah, this isn't anywhere else. You've bought saying that those people yeah, are lying. Those, I'm happy to know that yeah. there's five, ten photos from the book I've just bought, and I'm going to know them. Yeah, I remember that. Sick, I haven't seen this. Like that's what I think. It's the needs, man. I think people are forgetting this. I it? think yeah. So holding back work is massive, and that's why I did the zines because I've been I've been meaning to do zines for like five years, man. Like I come from a punk background. I don't listen to loads and loads of punk anymore, but I come from a hardcore punk background where even when I was in prison, my best friend was sending me. DIY zines where literally it's photocopies from the local library gaffer taped Puck. down the back brilliant punk as fuck like yeah, you know it falls to shit it looks like shit but that that kid could only afford that so that's what he did mine are a little bit nicer and whatever else but the whole point is there do it yourself I got them pub- uh, printed myself no publishers nothing sold 500 of them and that's like you said holding back images that people haven't seen You've got to show people got, a product. You have to do you that. You have to. Otherwise, why are they going to buy it? What, shop windows are that, are that testament. You know what I mean? It's the same thing on Instagram. Instagram's a shit. All it has to be, though, is a shop window. It doesn't have to be the whole shop. It's giving them the do little bit of crack. Yeah. They're hooked, and then yeah. they're buying your product. You don't product. go past Selfridges and know that every single product in Selfridges is in that window, and you can look at it. <laughs> that is not the case. You get tempted, and you walk in. But I just thought, it got to a point where I'd finish uni. I'm putting money into this, man. I'm putting money into traveling around. Buying the film, buying the equipment, eating when I'm out. I need to get the money back. And to be honest, all those zines are doing is make putting the money. It's like basically saying to people, look, if you like what you're seeing, buy the fucking work so then I can keep making it. Yeah. I'm not, otherwise it gets to a it's point the, where it gets endless. And that's this... why I don't like exhibiting work because when I've done exhibitions, no one buys the work these days mm. because what it's about is we all live in tight cities. Most of the people that are into my work are in tight cities across the world. They can't afford postage or whatever else it may be, or they don't actually have the space. The they don't have, space they don't have the deal. space to put a framed picture up in their room. Mm. And I realized this. So I kind of got put off exhibitions. You know, I love going to a good exhibition. Love that. Not mm. Nothing against that. But for me, exhibiting my work, I'm not saying I'll never do it again, but I just, there's something about a zine that's so accessible. I can sell them for £11. Mm. And that basically means that someone can have 40 pages of my work in their house and they can show their friends yeah. you know it's kind of like when you're a kid and you go around and listen to someone's mixtape publications are beautiful, right? beautiful. It, it's that handheld work where you're not scrolling and fucking you're not looking through a screen you, you don't have a sore thumb no. you can maybe your mates come around and you pass around a zine and you're talking about the, the images yeah. that you're seeing and I think that's getting lost man ever, ever so much like I'm finding out the hard way now trying to get this book published yeah. it's like books are fucking expensive man like you know and, you know zines are zines are accessible and that's what i love about them is look they're not a hardbound book and yeah there is a bit of a quality issue and you can you know i like to limit them to 40 pages and da, 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 da. pros and cons just like life but anyone can so buy man, one each, each one of these things is a stepping stone this all adds everything you've just told me right the way from fuck primary school no point going into that let's go with secondary everything has been a stepping stone and that's what these zines are these zines are the stepping stone to your the, the funny book. thing is one of the reasons i actually did the zines is i thought i want to trial it i want to actually just see i only bought 50 zines 
Um, because I, I didn't think anyone was going to buy one. I thought I was going to sell 30 to my mates and that was it. But I, I bought 50 and I sold out in that day. I sold it in two hours and I could not, bruv, self-worth wise, I felt so good about myself. It sounds so stupid. because No, it doesn't. I'm not even making that much money off it. Really. Listen. I'm putting all the money back into it. But I only did those zines so I could have a feeler out there to think who would buy my mm. book? Who would pay £40 on a hardback book yeah. or however much it's going to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only reason I did those zines originally. Is the aim, the aims to, or the, for the near future, I'm not going to ask you about the rest of your life, but the near future is to keep pushing the photography. You're not looking to get hired. You're looking to do your own projects nah. through photography. You'll fund that through whatever work you need to do. And You know what it is? Is like, I, I get emails and that every now and then of people basically saying, oh, I've got a new brand coming out. Will you shoot it? I have these conversations too much, but people don't want to pay money on me to photograph their brand. They love my work, but they don't want to pay money. And it's like, with film photography, the whole point of film photography is to slow yourself down. I sold all my digital equipment, so I can't do that work anymore. I can shoot your brand. You need to pay me. That's how it works. And I think that's why I've made a point of it. And I've, I've talked about this online as well in the sense that as soon as one photographer says they're going to do it for free... To a random, I'm, I'm not talking about doing it for friends. I'm talking no, about no. for a random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's the the yeah. chain's broken. And I always say to people, look, you've approached me. I didn't approach you. Yeah. You've approached me through DM or email, whatever. And you've said you want my, you like my work to the level that you want me to shoot your brand. All right, cool. So we've got an understanding. Now you're telling me you don't want to pay that money or you've got a low budget. I've heard every excuse in the book. That doesn't pay my bills. That's cool. Exposure does not pay the bills. So yeah. what's going on? is that you don't want to pay a quality artist to do your work. I'm not saying I'm the best photographer in the world because I'm not, but you've approached me. So what's now going to happen is you're not going to pay me. You're going to fob me off and you're now going to approach someone that's probably fresh out of uni or is still in uni and we'll do it for free because that's all they know. I think you're making so, the right decision, man. I think by choosing to have a job and keep your passion as your passion is the right thing for Being now. Being real about it, like what a lot of people don't like to talk about and what some people are amazed about I get emails of people wanting to be my apprentice or my assistant, whatever you want to call it. This is the thing here that I tell people. There's no there's no point in me having an assistant because if you want to come and walk around with me and talk to people shooting up heroin, great, but it's not going to work because no, it, it all becomes a bit iffy and yeah. suspect. The, the point is, is that I work a dead-end job, yeah? I work a shit job to fund my passion and no one really wants to talk about it, but a lot of people are in this situation and no one talks about it and it kind of pisses me off. But it's I like, admire that shit so much. They, I had a it's... conversation with my friend the other day. She's assigned to an agency and she basically shoots videos. She shoots a product so for a bank or an advert, whatever. And she might just shoot one or two things a month, but that funds her enough to shoot her own work. And that's amazing. Mm. And I'm so that's, envious. That's brilliant, yeah. That's beautiful. But I said to her, I'm so jealous of you. Um... Because the point is, is that I would love to be in that situation. If someone would, I'm, I, don't get me wrong, I will sell my soul in the sense that if someone said to me, look, we want you to shoot this campaign um, or a lookbook for our brand. This is the idea. We're going to give you five grand. I will fucking do that. And I'll do it well. Right, because I'll tell you something, right? You're not, there's no selling your soul there, okay? What, what that is, is, is using your talent to get paid. Your past, the fact is now, what you're doing now is building your book. And at some point, that question's going to come because through being consistent, it, it's inevitable there's a knock-on effect to that. What? It, so that what you've just said is actually going to happen. There's no doubt if you keep the same... I'll tell you what, if you had left uni, I'm going to be a photographer, start doing events, weddings, 
you've just diluted your whole portfolio. Yeah, and not not saying people are bad for doing that. What I'm saying is, I think, yeah, what you, the decision you've made, I think, is really great. Is strong. You're building and pushing your style, and inevitably, you're getting them calls now with no budget. The budget comes soon. I promise. That's that's exactly how this world works. I can promise. You. I've been doing this business twenty years. I this hope is exactly so. how I it think works. Stay is, consistent. You know you got to stay consistent. You you and you know what I have. I've limited myself. I've sold all my gear. I shoot 35 millimeter color film. That's what I do. Yes, yeah, some of it's expired, whatever. I'm moving on. But basically, I'm getting to a point where I feel like I've, I'm... Some people say I've got a style. I don't believe I do. I'm getting to a point where I feel like I'm getting a style and I'm getting a niche area. That's what it's about. And that's what I always say to people when they ask me for advice. You need to find a niche. Everyone's doing art. Everyone's a photographer. Everyone's a uh, fucking graffiti writer. Find a niche. I'll tell you find what I can say. that you're doing. I can say honestly that out of the... I must follow 1,600 people on Instagram. And when I roll down, I don't have to see your name to know it's your photo. That's crazy to me. That's, that's a fact. I'm but, like, oh, that's a Harry shot. And I got yeah, Harry Conway, got it. But that's the funny thing you say that is that that's great. And it's like, it feels mad nice to hear that. But at the same time, I've, 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 I've demented myself debating this constantly in, in, in the sense that I, I can do like, look, I just got paid last week to shoot an MC. And it was great. Had some really cool conversations. That money will now go towards film to shoot basically people on the street. I've debated so much about just cutting all of that work out and just shooting my work. But the problem is, is that if you pigeonhole yourself and you, obviously you need to find a niche, but if you pigeonhole yourself, people then will overlook you. I know there's some people that would not um, pay for my work because I shoot people smoking heroin. But the, the thing is, is it's um, a moral decision. It's, it's, it's a decision that I've thought about long and hard. Style. So many nights. Cool it's style. It's not just style, it's principle. Mm. This is my work that I believe has so much. Um, I don't think it's better than anyone, but it's got so much substance to it that people need to see it. Because I've grown up in London. I'm 28 next month. I've lived and breathed it. And I've been there and I've seen that. And the, the people that I've been on the wing with in Wormwood Scrubs are now seeing... In Soho, and they don't look well. In Scrubs, they look fucking healthy, man. I would trade my trade my soya milk. Um, no, I trade my flip flop, sorry, for some soya milk. And then I see that geezer on the train, and he's smoking fucking crack cocaine, and he's mm. mad. And this side of London, people don't see. So for me, it's a matter of principle, and it's a matter of integrity, and I need to show it. And it's like I get questions so like so many people try and call me out about my work and be like, oh, that's fucked up. Da-da. But it's like, I can show the nice side. I can go down the road and shoot like, you know, Bernadette, like the happy granny and like, it's all beautiful. But that's not London. Life's about balance, man. Like I can have a beautiful day speaking to old geezer about his story about his really nice old tattoos. And then other days I can, sh- you know, take a picture of this woman that's got two needles full of heroin and like her blood's spurting out. And, and it can fucking depress me. But that's London, man. That's life. That's Need not they. London. That's life. Listen, there's people, there has to be someone like you taking them photos. There has to be a balance. But has to be. I feel like I'm going to keep on doing my thing. I'm going to keep working a dead end job because that's all I know because it funds the photography that I love. And that is my passion. Ultimately, mm. I believe from a very young age. One of my successes is picking your battles. I was always taught pick your battles or I learned that myself, I'd say. And what, what's happened is I don't go and fuck around with my mates all day long and waste my time. I constantly carry my camera everywhere and I have dedicated my life to this, this practice, I'd call it now. And I see my girlfriend 
I spend time with my family when I can and I shoot my photos and that's all I do. And I think people find that surprising when I say to them because I don't go, I don't want to go and get drunk on the weekend. I'm the guy that's walking around. So while you get drunk on the yeah. weekend, I spent my fucking new year's without my girlfriend, without my family, without my friends, riding the Bakerloo line for hours. And I was out there till, till 3am. I wanted to be out there till 6am, but I had to wake up to go to my dead end job because I get double pay on New Year's Day on a bank holiday. Well, if I could, I'd be out there all night because I was really enjoying myself. Listen, man, I, I think I think you're doing everything right. And it sounds as if you're... Because you're right in the middle of it. Not uh, Yeah, you're right in the middle of it. When you get a chance to step back, you'll see that this is... You're doing it all right, basically. You're doing it all right and you're going to end up conti- basically continuing to be creative for the rest of your life. Dead end job won't be the word anymore. It won't be. It's it's a way to substance your practice. What, yeah, I mean, no, it is. For, you can call it a dead end job now. I, I don't think that's going to be part of your life. For the, that's not going to be the rest of your life because you didn't get a, an education that's going to put you into these types of placements of jobs of careers or whatever. If you haven't decided to, you, you may not want to go into a building that's going to give you a career for the next twenty years. If you're going to just go and get these jobs that give you this wage and they're helping you, all you want to do is take photos. This is going. This is going to change your life. Just that going to change your life I promise that's a boom story I can't wait to see how it continues thank you man that was fucking Pleasure. dope I really enjoyed it man and I can't wait to see it no, the problem is is like when I get going I can talk forever man good good we won't do that to everyone but good thank you brother. thank you man I really enjoyed that I chatted about Harry in an interview I did for the London Vandal in 2010 I think we crossed paths after that but I never had a chance to sit with him and chat I think he's got a really solid head on his shoulders and the way he talks about his abstinence and veganism it's really inspiring I've been lucky enough to see the first draft of the Bakerloo line book he spoke about it's amazing I'm really looking forward to see it printed and published and whatever he's got coming next his zines etc he's got a really cool vision and his future is definitely bright I hope you like that convo be back again next week love your city and love your culture this is F24